Come away from L.A. back to Knoxville I found out those bright lights ain't where I belong From a phone booth in the rain I called to tell her I've had a change of dreams, I'm coming home But tears fill my eyes when I found out she was gone Ronnie Millsap, Smoky Mountain Rain. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. The last show we're going to have in March, special Sunday edition once again. We've had a bit of an erratic schedule, but if we did not have an erratic schedule, then we would not have a show at all. Have not been able to make the usual Tuesday night episode time for various reasons. Uh, There will be no show next week. The show after this one will be April 8th on a Wednesday. Then after that, uh, I think we have one more week where we're not on Tuesday, and then finally we'll be going back to Tuesday. Probably, but no promises. 
So Sunday afternoon here in the West Coast, 4 p.m. Uh, in the East Coast, 7 p.m. And even maybe some Europeans can listen live at midnight right now. I believe it is in England. So more of a convenient time for some people. Usually I like to have it on weeknights because I know that a lot of you like to do other things with your weekends rather than sit at home and listen to radio shows. So I think it's better for like an after work sort of thing. But this week and two weeks ago, all I could do was Sunday. So here we are. We're going to have a co-host today, Daredevil, our regular co-host our regular substitute co-host, shall I say, is with us. At least I hope he is. Let's see if I can find him. There he is. Last time I did this show two weeks ago, I had no co-host. I had to do this on my own, which was tough, especially because I had sound problems. It was a mess. I believe this week we are okay. But we'll see if my co-host answers. He's, it's ringing on his end. He's just sitting there, pondering whether he should take this Skype call and co-host the show with me. But hey, if you don't answer, it's okay. I'll just go on myself. I hate sitting and waiting for something like this. I just, I feel anxiety, like staring at it, waiting for it to connect. But I, he's, uh, here we are. Daredevil, hello. Druff, how you doing? Hi. Okay, so I think we're good. I think we are, uh, you sound good. The... Microphone issues I had of last week have been resolved, and here we are. So, welcome back in the co-host chair. The permanent, Thank you. Thank permanent you. co-host is back. Permanent substitute co-host. Sorry. What a title. What a title. Yes. So, okay. We have no free roll this week. That's, well, sorry. We do have a free yeah, we roll. we do. We have a free roll, but not a regular free roll. The regular free roll, which comes... It's officially organized by the show, even though not paid for by the show. I have other people pay for it because I'm cheap. But uh, that is not going this week. But Belly Buster, who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room, has stepped up. And in addition to his generosity with running the No Fraud Online Poker Room at his own expense and own effort, he has donated $100 to this week's free roll. And he's running it himself. This is what's called Belly's Fuck Yes Free Roll. And the reason it's called that, well, I don't know the reason he's calling it that, but the reason I'm telling you it's called that is that you have to go play that free roll, not the normal, quote, radio document on the Poker Fraud Alert, uh, No Fraud Online Poker Room. Otherwise, you'll be in the wrong free roll. So make sure to look for Belly's Fuck Yes Free Roll. And it's very simple, the price pool. It's $100. That's 40 for first, 20 for second, 10 for third. And a $30 bounty, if you can knock out Belly Buster, obviously a good idea to try to do that. You have to PM him for the password to the Belly's Fuck Yes free roll. So you can't just enter normally like you can with the free roll I put on. This is his free roll, his money, his rules. You have to PM Belly Buster. That's Belly Space Buster on Poker Fraud Alert. It starts at 4.30 Pacific Time. 20-minute late registration, meaning the latest you can enter will be 4.50 p.m. Pacific time. You need to PM, PM him right now if you haven't yet, and hopefully he's around. It is around midnight where he is. If you don't get a response from him, there's nothing I can do. I don't even know the password. Hmm. If someone put a gun to my head right now and said, tell me the password or I'm going to shoot you, I would be dead because I couldn't tell you. 
I could look it up, but I'm not going to. So I, I don't want to know the password, and I'll tell you why. If I know the password, I'm going to get a lot of people in the chat room PMing me, demanding it, and I'll have to like pause the show while I answer them. I'll have people calling in demanding it. I'll have people texting me demanding it. And I don't want that. I don't want it. So read the form. Read the official thread for this radio show in the Flying Stupidity form before the show. And you'll see things like this, and you can PM the guy and get it. So if you're part of this free roll, great. If you can't get in, you have to wait till April 8th, in which we will have a normal free roll. And I, I don't feel bad for you if you can't get in, because there's supposed to be no free roll today at all. He just did this out of the goodness of his heart. So don't give him a hard time if you can't get in, or if he's sleeping at midnight in England or whatever. So thank you, Belly Buster. Very generous. He's always been very, very generous to the site, and I yes. appreciate that. A great guy, Belly Buster. So... Let me give you some other intro material before we get into the meat of the show. As always, if you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, 775-FRAUD-55. You can also call me on the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that is hanging over Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away by car. There's an old 70s rotary telephone that sits on top of the mountain and forwards to me wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. No matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID or you will not get through. You'll get a busy signal if it cannot read your caller ID. Don't worry, I won't give out your phone number. I hold the phone numbers here in confidence. In fact, I hold them in so much confidence that I don't even remember them or try to record them. I just... Uh, get the calls and that's it. I notice them when they come in and I get used to certain people being from certain area codes and that's about it. That's uh, your journalistic integrity, Todd. That's why you have a press pass at the World Series. <laughs> yeah, so I can get my $10 a day at food. All right, well, uh, caller, you're on the air. Oh, hey, Todd. Hey, do you know, um, is anything going on with Bovada? Because I haven't been able to log in all day. Oh, boy. I hope not or I'm going to be I, out. I'm going to be out a lot of money if there's something going on with it. Let me. I mean, I can see right well, now. When I call... When I called, they said it was just an issue with people that have Macs, and I haven't been able to test it on a PC. But. Well, I, I can go on to bovada.lv, and uh, do you want me to try to start up the client? Yeah, if you could, because okay. I was able to get to the site, but just the client did work. I've been trying it all day. All right. Why not? Let's let's do a test here right uh, right here on this radio show. We will see well, I'm I am in on mine, but uh, I may have a different one since I'm in Canada. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm bringing but up I'm the, in the Bo Bovada. Are you Cooper. on a PC or a Mac? I'm on PC. Yeah, I'm on a PC. It comes up fine. People are playing. It's good. So Bovada yeah, has yeah, not. Uh, they have not run off with our money, at least not yet. Okay, no good. Yeah, he said they said it was just a Mac problem, but I didn't know. Yeah, I, I hear okay. a, a I hear a siren in the background. I think they're coming to arrest you for playing on Bovada. I'd watch out. No, I'm not not home right now, but okay. uh, heading back. Hopefully, it'll start working soon. All right. Well, good luck when you do play. Okay. And yeah, it's still I'll around. The show. Okay. Thank Please you. Good. Bye. So, yeah. Uh, I'm glad we can answer, uh, you know, Bovada customer questions. Well, during I, the I, I, I helped this guy out. I'm not going to say who it is, but it's it's someone who's done a lot for this site too. So I, I didn't want uh, I didn't want to tell him, you know, go go find out on your own. That would have been rude. So, like uh, like most other people, I'd probably say, hey, this is not the Bovada Diagnostics Show, but but uh, this is a person <laughs> I wanted to help out, and I I know how he feels because like I don't know how much money this guy has on there. But right, I sure. have a lot of money on there, and honestly, if they just disappeared one day, I, I would yeah. be super frustrated because, you know, you play online poker, and this is the worst part. You play online poker, you have good days, you win, you're, you're feeling all good, you go to bed at night happy, oh, look how much money I won, and then 
you don't actually get the money when it disappears or they've stolen your money. Like you, you believe you've won the money and then you really haven't, which is the worst. Right. Also, it's happened to I assume to all of us, right? Yeah, yeah. So you that's, know, but... you wake up one day and shut down by the DOJ. What? Yeah, <laughs> what? They never had our money. Like that's that's the worst. Yeah. It's much better just to actually lose and know you lost and say, oh, okay, course. I lost. Like to have the false sense that you've actually won and then actually have lost is is a killer. It's like a slow roll. So, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, so when I get calls like that, even I kind of panic because I have a lot of money on there. So, all right, let's uh, move on with this. Uh, Intro here. If you want to play in the free roll, all you need is the password. All the other conditions do not apply from the past. It's just up to Belly Buster if he wants to let you in or not, and if he can respond in time. And uh, if you want to text me, you can do so at 775-372-8355. That's the same in the main show number, 775-372-8355. I will respond to the texts off the air if I get them after the show or before the show, I, I'm always checking these texts, and if you have something to say at any time, you can text me, but if you text me during the show, I will read it on the air, unless you start the text with do not read on air. I get weird texts sometimes, like I got a text today from the 323 area code in, in uh, Los Angeles, and it said the following, Hey, this is Shane, how can I help you? <laughs> I don't know who Shane is. I know Shane from Lock Poker, and the way he helped us was stealing our money, but I, I don't think it's that Shane. And I didn't text him to precipitate this. It was almost like I texted him saying, uh, like, I need something, and then, hey, this is Shane. How can I help you? It's really weird. Maybe maybe somebody texted, like, I mean, it's hard to spoof a text phone. It was very hard, but maybe someone texted someone and said they were, you know, to text them back at my number. I don't know. Really weird. Are there, yeah, are there one number off replying? But that's all. Anyway. Yeah, I once got erroneous, or more than once, I've gotten erroneous texts. Have you gotten them before where someone texts you and they believe they texted someone else, like a wrong number text? Yes. And what I, what I got one, like, last month, and it was like, hey, cutie, how was, you know, what, I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Well, apparently, there's a guy who's kind of a player, much younger than me, like a guy who's, like, you know, 19 years old or something, kind of a player. And he has a very similar phone number to mine. And he will sometimes get texts that actually end up with me because my number is very similar. Mine is one off of his. And uh, I get his texts. And when I first got them, I, I had no idea what was going on. I was actually kind of messing with the person back. And then I, I kind of started feeling bad for these girls because I was realizing this is like a guy who was, who was playing them all. Right. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you were his fake phone number or what? And, and here's the worst thing. One of the girls that was texting me was so crazy. That, like, I went on with this for, like, five minutes and said, no, oh, no, I probably shouldn't do this. So I told her the truth and said, look, I'm just some random dude. And not only that, I'm probably much older than you are. Is that, I could tell from you know, her text that she wasn't my age. And I said, I'm probably much older than you are, and I'm not him. I have no idea who you are. You, you're trying to text somebody who, is, who has a similar phone number to mine. So you would think he'd, she'd say, oh, okay, I'm so embarrassed. Bye. No. She's like, no, you're just making that up so you don't have to talk to me. And she, she, <laughs> she was insisting that I was really him, and I was just making up this story to get away from her, and she was freaking out and was so psycho, and I, I felt so bad that I, I made this whole thing happen, though probably he probably would have done the same thing to her in real life you know, once he saw this type of attitude from her, but uh, boy, was this girl nuts. She just would not believe me that I... I, I said, look, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a guy over 40 who has a similar phone number. I mean, look at the phone number carefully, and she's like, 
Then why did you say you were him you know, five minutes ago? I'm like, I just thought it was funny, and I've gotten a few other of these. And but uh, she was she was furious. So I, I, after that one, I stopped doing it. I stopped. Uh, I never messed with them for too long, but like I, 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 it was so entertaining that this player would give his phone number out to so many girls that I would get a few errant texts from uh, girls that he thought he was talking to. But uh, and in case you guys are wondering, no, I didn't ask for nudes or anything like that. I was just uh, I, I was just like asking questions like. Uh, like where they know me from and things like that, just to find out their story with these guy, with this guy, and more kind of figuring out what he's doing than what they're doing. I knew their story. I knew it was some girl that was into him. Anyway, I, I quit that a while ago <laughs> after that whole mess. But uh, I, I don't know if this Shane is an errant text like that or or what it is. But uh, oh, not only that, the, that guy who was the player, I guess he kind of got me back in a way. He signed up for a whole lot of surveys, thinking he was going to win all kinds of money and like these stupid things like sweepstakes online. And when it asked for his phone number, he gave mine instead of his. And I don't think he did it maliciously. I think he just didn't want to give his actual phone number, so he just changed it by one. This and, just seems like his standard fake phone number for yeah, across all purposes. It's probably what it is. I'm like, I'm like, uh, do you know what you just did to me? Like, I actually called him up and yelled at him. I'm like, do not do this to me. Because I, I talked to the guy at the time I started getting these texts from the girls. I actually messaged him and said, hey, what's going on with this? And you know, and he talked to me a little bit. But uh, that's how I know his story. But I, I huh. was pissed at him. I called him up and they're like, do not give out my number on these online surveys. I got like a million calls. Like, hello, you called up at our online sweepstakes, and then when I claimed I didn't. They were very rude with me and hung up on me. Wouldn't say like who they were, how you know how my number got signed up. Like they, it was it was awful. So that that's been some of my experience. I, you know, I, I think the problem is when I was younger, I used to always kind of like reverse prank numbers that would call me as wrong numbers. Not always, but I would do it a lot, and and see how long I could keep them going. And I, I think part of me still wants to do it, even though I'm too old to be doing it. So uh, well, that's what you have the show for. Yeah, well, I, I, I posted a story on Poker Fraud Alert a few years ago about uh, from 1992 where I actually had sex because I pretended to be someone on a wrong number. And, you know, when she had sex with me, she knew I was not that person. She knew I was me, but uh, that right. was what made the whole thing happen. And people enjoyed the story, too. In fact, I, I wasn't sure when I posted that story how, how Benjamin's mom would react to reading something like that. But I, I posted, like, parts one and two of three, and I, did, I dragged my feet with posting part three. And, and she comes up to me and says, hey, can you post part three? I want to see how it turns out. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> okay. She's like, oh, it's a good story. I'm like, okay. That's, I'm, I'm glad you have that attitude. But uh, – you know, I, I feel more comfortable posting stories like that from like 20 years ago or more, right? Because it, it's just so long ago, and it's it's almost like I'm a different person. So, all right, let's let's get going. Here's here's the agenda for tonight. You can also go in the chat room, by the way, if you want to interact with the other people uh, listening to the show live. But honestly, if you want to interact with me, you're better off calling in or texting me. So I have somebody texting me, by the way, from the 902 area code, letting me know that it is currently 4:20 on the dot. <laughs> when he was texting, like not right now, but it, like he has to tell me it's 4:20. It's 4:20 twice a day. I mean, this is obviously a pot smoker. He thinks it's funny, but come, come on now, don't don't tell me it's 4:20 on the dot. If I started the show at 4:20 on the dot, that would be worth texting me. But I started well before 4:20. In fact, I did pretty well today with starting close to on time. I really did. That's true. Yeah. So okay. I think I fixed the server issues, by the way. For the last month or so, we've had a problem where you try to come on Poker Fraud Alert, especially during radio, and it's lagging and having issues. I believe I fixed it. I believe I identified the problem late last night and, and fixed it. I won't go into the details, but uh, it was not a DOS attack. It was a 
problem with something I did that caused the database to be really slow. I, th I think I figured it out. So I think we're not going to have that problem anymore. So, okay. Here is the agenda. The Restore America's Wire Act, also known as RAWA, R-A-W-A, the hearing for that is going to take place on March 25th. That is Sheldon Adelson's attempt to make all online poker illegal in the U.S., no matter who runs it, which means the current legalized rooms in Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware would become illegal, and efforts to make it legalized in other states like California will go away. There will be no more online poker you can legally play in the U.S. ever if this passes. That's a, this was uh, a hearing about this was to, to take place on March 5th, but did not because of the bad weather in the East Coast. So it got moved to March 25th, and we'll talk about that. And the opposition to Sheldon Adelson's side is already gearing up to set up a demo there against it. Well, Poker Stars is well admired for their security. People are afraid to use bots on Poker Stars. They're afraid to collude. They're afraid to multi-account. We've heard so many stories of Poker Stars catching cheaters and taking away their ill-gotten gains and redistributing them. I have to say that uh, if you were a cheater, you'd probably be least likely to want to cheat on Poker Stars. That's where you'd be afraid to go cheat. It's kind of like the, the Fort Knox of poker sites. I mean, they've even got lasers. They've, they've got everything. <laughs> so, so Poker Stars is very respected for their security procedures, but there are now reports that it's not even that hard to deposit and withdraw after you've hacked accounts on PokerStars, even if you're not using that person's NetTeller account or credit cards. So there's accusations that PokerStars' security is not quite as good as it seems. We'll talk about that. Speaking of PokerStars not necessarily doing the right thing, Italy is accusing PokerStars of evading taxes on 300 million euros in revenue. Italy's not saying they owe 300 million euros in taxes, but that taxes that would be on that 300 million were not paid. I'll explain what Italy claims PokerStars has done. Well, there's a little bit of a war of words between two big names associated with two big tournament series. Mike Sexton, who is associated with the World Poker Tour, has written a blog, which is up on PartyPoker.com, criticizing the World Series of Poker. And the head of the World Series, Ty Stewart, responded to him on that blog in the comments section. So we'll talk about what each of them said. Caesars has warned that the lawsuits related to their bankruptcy could possibly destroy the company. The question, is that true? And we're going to discuss further of what's going on with Caesars and discuss a little bit about these lawsuits. It's very interesting. And I'll tell you what the most valuable part of Caesars is. It might surprise you. The Oregon Lottery. You might wonder, why would I talk about the Oregon Lottery on this show? I'll talk about a boring topic. But uh, this is really about video poker that is run by the Oregon Lottery. Uh, the simplest way to put it is video poker machines in Oregon that are owned by the state of Oregon. So when you lose, the money goes to the state of Oregon, not to a private enterprise. There is a very shocking scam 
when I say shocking, it's because of who's perpetrating it. You expect a scam to be perpetrated by uh, an individual, a shady business, something like that. You would not expect a state, a state government agency, to be scamming people. Or maybe you would. I mean, there's corruption, definitely, in, in the federal and state governments in the U.S., but outright scamming at the government level is not all that common. But uh, I found strong evidence that a scam is occurring involving video poker machines run by the state of Oregon. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> Daredevil, this is a segment for you. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you are forced to pay jackpot rake for a jackpot that is literally impossible to win. That's true. I don't mean hard to win. I don't mean nope. like I don't mean a jackpot where it has to be uh, a straight flush beaten by a royal flush with uh, both whole cards used. That would be almost impossible to win. This is literally impossible to win. <sighs> yeah. So actually, I guess that straight flush and royal flush would be impossible too with both whole cards. But uh, you know, you know what I'm saying here. Not not a super super hard one to win. I mean an impossible one. You're actually paying for a jackpot you cannot win. So I'll let, I'll let you talk about that when we get to that segment. I'm not going to put words Sounds in your good. mouth. A horrendous ruling took place at the uh, ANZPT Sydney. I've been involved with some bad rulings before. In fact, I was involved with a really, really, really bad one at the win about eight years ago. This one's even worse. So we'll talk about that ruling, and I'll ask you at the time if you were involved in any terrible rulings of your own. It's a, that's really frustrating when... It's one thing for the floor to make a, a questionable ruling or a, a little bit of a mistaken ruling. This When there's really, really, really awful rulings that rob you of what should be your equity in the tournament, it just pisses you off. It's it's terrible. It should never happen. Like, really, really, really terrible ones should never happen. Pam Anderson, who is married to Rick Solomon and... I guess they're on the rocks, and uh, it's the marriage is going to be over very soon. She's claiming that her husband, who is not known to be a top poker player, he's known to play poker, but not known to be a top poker player, she's claiming that her husband won a lot of money against banker Andy Beal. She claims that he won... $1 million. Now, that would be believable. She claims he won, he won $40 million. $40 million supposedly was won in poker by Rick Solomon against Andy Beal, and somehow none of us heard of it. We'll talk about whether this is true, partially true, or completely made up. There's a new development, small new development, in the Golden Nugget non-shuffled cards lawsuit. We've talked about that before on this show a number of months ago, where uh, the Golden Nugget forgot to shuffle their cards, and players realized it and raised their bets really, really high, knowing what cards were coming and won a fortune. And there's been a lot of back and forth with this uh, new development with that. We'll talk about that situation. Finally, this has nothing to do with poker or gambling, but it'll be an editorial slash discussion. A friend of mine who lives in Sacramento, and yes, I really mean a friend, not me, uh, who uses Tinder in the Sacramento area, sent me a picture of a girl he ran into on that app who looked a lot like me, in his opinion, so much that even though normally he would find her attractive, and she she was a pretty good-looking woman, uh, he didn't want to touch her 
or even contact her because she looked too much like me, would freak him out to do anything with her. So then I posted that picture on Poker Fraud Alert, and there was a lot of mixed opinions on whether she looks a lot like me, a little like me, or not like me at all. Uh, But we're going to discuss whether you could have sex with someone who looks a lot like you. Could you do it? We'll talk about that. I'll tell you my opinion on the whole thing. That'll be our editorial and discussion for today's show. Once again, the phone number is 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355, And the text number is 775-372-8355. If I don't respond, or if I don't answer your phone calls, try back in about 15 minutes. Don't call over and over and over again. It just means we can't get to you at the moment, so just try back in a bit. So let's uh, start off. Now, before I start out, let's take a look at the chat room. Anything worthy to mention? Uh, let's see. Mm. Apparently, uh, the free roll was restarted, so you have to re-register. That's the only oh, thing. Oh, jeez. Never, never goes easily. It's never easy, Todd. Never. It easy. isn't. It just never is. It's always no. tough. It's like I, I've had it before, where I've had poker sessions where they're going so badly that even when I win, it's bad. Like, even when I win, there's a super scary river where I get all frustrated, and I check, and they check, or I check, right, and they bet. Right, you win the minimum, yeah. Yeah, or I check, and they bet, and I'm like, and I slam my hand down on the desk, and I go, damn it, I can't believe this happened again. And then I call, and I win, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, but still, I get all stressed out. Like, I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> not win that last bet and just believe I had it the whole way. But anyway, uh, it's kind of like that with this show. It's Even when things go well, there's always a problem. All right. I, okay. It was DJ Chaps, I guess, who sent the 420 text. I, I guess I can give him a pass. You know, DJ Chaps is our. Uh, well, I don't because it wasn't 420 there. That's a good point. So that's sorry, DJ point. Chaps. That's that a good point. Story well, does not check out. One Canadian trashes another. You're right. He's in well, a, just it's a time zone thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, it's 420 where you are in Canada, but not uh, not where he is. That's true. It's that's a, correct. In fact, I, I believe it's actually 820 where he was at the time. That is also correct. Yeah, it's that weird Atlantic time zone where you're actually uh, uh, ahead of the Eastern time zone. That's and we actually have one more time zone beyond that where it's four and a half hours ahead. I didn't know that. Where is that? That is that is in um, Newfoundland. Was it always that way? Because I was in Newfoundland uh, 29 years ago, and I don't remember that. And that's something something I would have even noticed at age 14. I would have thought that was odd. Uh, they may have changed that, but... Uh... Yeah, that's as, as far as I've been an adult. That's always been the way it's been. Weird. I, People are saying I am too loud, so I can't okay, affect I, that. Todd, you have to. I, take I care will of that. change it. Yes. Okay. Thank. Thank you, everybody, for uh, le- telling me to to make Daredevil quieter, to make him a, a lesser part of the show. Okay. <laughs> I'm not loud. They just don't like what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Now, fortunately, I can, I can control this. So let's. Uh, okay. Hopefully, that's better. Okay, so let's move on here. Start with the first topic, the RAWA. Now, uh, for those of you who don't like the poker legalization topics, and I know know there's some of you, I I try not to overdo it with that on this show because I know it can be boring and it doesn't make the best radio. Even if it's important stuff, it it doesn't make the best radio. But this, this is an important thing because if it passes, it will be a disaster for legalized online poker. This is one of these things that... I don't think has a high chance to pass, but if it does, the consequences will be very bad. So it's, it's something worth talking about. Uh, originally, the hearing for this was March 5th. It got moved to March 25th because of weather. And uh, it'll be taking place at 4 p.m. 
East Coast time. That'll be, uh, I guess, 5.30 p.m. in Newfoundland. <laughs> and uh, uh, this is pretty much being done to jerk off Sheldon Adelson. Sheldon Adelson gives a lot of money to candidates that he likes or that do what he says, or both, really. And a lot of people say, oh, he's only giving money to Republicans. That's not necessarily true. He is a Republican. He does traditionally support Republicans. But he's more about that he has certain pet issues, and whoever supports those pet issues gets his support. It's not so much like he just gives blanket support to Republicans. So anyway, uh, one of the big pet issues, as you guys probably know, is being anti-online poker. Uh, We won't bother to debate again why he's so anti-online poker. Some people think it's because uh, he doesn't want to compete with brick-and-mortar businesses because he owns the the Venetian. Uh, Some think that he just doesn't like it. Some think it's both. But he has put a lot of time and effort and especially money into opposing online poker legalization efforts. He tried to sneak it in in the lame duck session of Congress, kind of attaching it to another bill sort of thing, but it uh, it did not go through, mainly thanks to the efforts of Ron Paul, who decided that this was an assault on states' rights. Because Ron Paul's feeling was that if you're telling states that they can't run online poker to take place within their own state borders, then the federal government is overstepping its power. And uh, and that any real conservative, in Ron Paul's opinion, should be against that. Even if you don't like online poker, you should not be. It should not be the federal government's business. And I agree with this. Anyway, uh, a lot of conservatives joined the pro or the anti RAWA forces. I can't say they're pro online poker, but they at least were anti the federal government banning online poker for that reason. And and that pretty much killed it the first time around. And. John Boehner, the House Speaker, said, ah, forget it, I don't, want, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to piss off the conservatives. But it's, it's come back to life, and there's going to be a hearing on this. This is different than what was attempted the first time, where it was uh, attempted to stick this in quickly, uh, attach it uh, through a negotiation session or attach it to another bill, and kind of slip it in under the cover of night. This is the sort of thing where it's got to stand on its own, and it's a lot harder to pass. So I think this is much less of a threat than before. But it's still a threat because of the dire consequences. The the PPA, more specifically Rich Muni, the vice president of the PPA, gets mad at me when I come on this show and say, don't worry about the RAWA, it's not an issue. Uh, he even gets mad when I say that the last time it failed was thanks to Ron Paul and not the PPA. He gets mad at all of that. So I, I will go as far to say that this would be very bad if it passes, and it can pass. It's not one of these things which is impossible. Is it likely? No, but is it possible? Yes. So we'll talk about it. Uh, Basically, this would make online poker illegal in the U.S. period. It's called the Restore America's Wire Act, referring to the Wire Act of 1961 that obviously didn't cover the Internet because there was no Internet in 1961, but that covered sports betting over the telephone. And uh, the 1961 Wire Act has been used as the basis to make online poker illegal. So uh, this is a misnomer of Restore America's Wire Act. There's no restoring to be done. Restoration would mean like there was a part of it that got taken away and you're restoring it to what it once was. There's nothing to restore. There was no Internet in 1961. If you want to restore it to what really was in 1961, then you can still play online poker. But uh, this hearing 
is is basically for the anti-online poker forces, the proponents of RAWA, to uh, state their case and and to uh, get this whole thing going with uh, with having this bill become law. Now, the Poker Players Alliance and uh, others who have interest in stopping the RAWA are going to be there. Uh, They are going to be in the Hall of States room at the John F. Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., close to the U.S. Capitol, to demonstrate some of the industry's technology. Now, uh, the reason they're going to be demonstrating this is uh, the main point being raised by Sheldon Adelson and his cronies is that online poker could be played by kids without their parents' knowledge and that people can falsify their locations and play where they're not supposed to play. So they're saying that even if, for example, the state of Nevada makes it legal and the state of Utah doesn't want it legal, that people in Utah can fake being in Nevada and play anyway, which becomes a problem for states like Utah, which won't want it to be legal. So those are their main points. So this demonstration, which is going to be six hours before the hearing at this uh, John F. Kennedy Center, will be various pro-online poker forces demonstrating the identity verification and location verification technology. Who will be there? There will be a representative from a company called GeoComply, which as it sounds is a company that verifies your location. So Anna Sainsbury will be there. She's the CEO of GeoComply. And then some representatives from Caesars Interactive, which of course runs WSOP.com, will be there. And uh, it's not known if there will be a uh, technical demonstration of the ID verifying company, but uh, it's thought that uh, even if the ID verifying company is not there, that uh, Caesars can demonstrate it themselves on their own site. So so basically they're trying to show the, the powers that be over there before this hearing, six hours before this hearing, hey, look, this is how everything works. There's nothing to worry about. Back off. So, so they're going to show up beforehand and disprove what they believe that uh, Sheldon Adelson's people are going to say. So I, I think that's a pretty good strategy. Uh, what's interesting, uh, the Hall of States room at the uh, John F. Kennedy Center is, is typically a room where uh, state-level interests meet. Basically, where uh, something that has to do with the federal level, where a few states need to get together and discuss it, it typically takes place over there. So that would also imply that uh, there's some sort of uh, states' rights advocacy involved in uh, opposing it this time around as well. So... I think mainly because of the states' rights thing, not so much about what the PPA is going to do, not so much about what the geolocation company is going to do or what Caesars is going to show. I I think mainly because of the states' rights stuff that this is not going to go anywhere because there's just not enough support in Congress. The conservatives are against it for the states' rights stuff. The liberals are against this because of the personal freedom stuff. There are some conservatives also against it for the personal freedom stuff. Uh, So basically, there are just not that many people anymore 
in Congress who will support a federal ban on online poker like this. It's just, uh, I think they've lost too much of their support base on both sides. So, uh, should you be panicking that after, after March 25th that you can kiss goodbye any legalization attempt of online poker? No, you shouldn't be worried. You should be moderately concerned, in my opinion. Meaning it's an outside chance to pass. If it does pass, I agree it's going to be kind of tough to undo. But I think it's probably not going to pass and it's going to go away. I think this is mainly being, this is mainly something where Sheldon Adelson's people are being given the floor just to not piss him off. Just so he has a chance to speak. So he's not shut out. So, so he's made to feel that if he has an opinion about something that he is allowed to state his case. And they don't just dismiss him and say, no, we've already decided against this. Go away. We don't want to hear from you. So uh, that's right. what this is more about. To me, this feels like almost the opposite side of when Full Tilt was trying to legalize poker. It's like they have their people. You, you know, this is how lobbying generally works. You have your people, you pay them so much money, and eventually you want to see something. But on the lobbyist side or the politician side that they're donating to, in a way, they don't even want it to pass because they know you still want it and there's more money, especially with a guy like Sheldon Adelson. So they have to produce something for the money, but really it's better if they keep stringing it along. Just like, you know, Barney Frank and the Democrats with the uh, full tilt money. And they say, yeah, yeah, oh, we're going to get this through. Oh, no, it didn't go through. We could try again, but, oh, you know, we need more money. And that's, you know, Sheldon needs to see something for his dollars and he's going to get to see it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he gets to he gets to see there's at least an effort. He gets to be heard. Uh, he, he gets to make his best attempt, and that, that's basically what this is. But I don't think his best attempt is going to be good enough. I think I think really no. the whole thing's dead in the water. Once Ron Paul convinced the conservatives that this is a violation of states' rights, I I thought all right, that's the end of this. This they just don't they're never going to get enough support now. There's too much opposition everywhere. So yeah, they, really the one chance they had was to cons- uh, convince the conservative base that this is a good thing. But now they've lost them, so that's it. So, I think it's something, I obviously watch it, I think it'll be interesting to see, I'm sure uh, the PPA, when, when this doesn't pass, is going to give themselves a big pat on the back, and, you know, I'm glad they're there, I, th- I think their strategy this time is good to set up this uh, little demonstration beforehand, so I, I don't want to be too hard on them here, they, I think they're doing what they should be. For this case, I don't want to make it sound like I, I think they're doing something wrong, uh, but I also think that this is going to lose either way. I think it's going to lose with or without them. But yeah, you know, at least they're doing what they're supposed to. And uh, just note that when they say, "Oh, we stopped this," they probably didn't stop it. But uh, at the same time, at, at least they're showing up and, and doing something that I think will be uh, as effective as it can be under the circumstances. So that's, that's my opinion on that. I'm I've uh, I'm trying to be fair to the PPA here. I don't want to just bash them. For no reason, or just because it's fun to bash them or something. At the same time, I'm not going to go along with their propaganda all the time that every good thing or avoidance of bad thing that happens involving online poker legalization is their doing, because it's not. Sometimes it's outside force. And I I agree that, you know, that kind of organization is necessary because there could be a viable threat to online poker, but this probably isn't it. But that's okay, because that organization still 
is valid, even though this particular case is not necessarily the tipping point. Yeah, and and of course it's good so, to have them when there is any kind of even yeah, a small exactly. threat like this. You might as well have them there, and and uh, you know it doesn't hurt for sure to have them, and uh, and it can only help. So so for that, I, I'm I'm happy they're going to be there. So I don't want to make it sound like that. Uh, I think they're wasting their time. I, I've thought in the past with some things they're wasting their time, but this I don't think it's a waste of time because at least this has some chance of passing, even if not a large chance, some chance. So I, I think their presence and opposition to it uh, and efforts to oppose it ha- have been useful time spent. So, okay. Let's talk about Poker Stars and their issue with the account security. This is this is a surprising story to me. Sometimes I'll, I'll read a story about, about Poker Stars or one of these other sites and I'll say, oh yeah, I, I could totally see this happening. But this one surprised me. Uh, so... Over the past uh, several days, a number of people in the poker community have been unhappy with poker stars about their security, especially of how they deal with account hackings. Now, I, maybe it's just people expecting too much, but I don't think so. People expect that if their account is hacked, even though the hacking may be their fault, either they accidentally install malware or key loggers on their computer or they're, they're tricked into giving their password in some way, even if it's the user's fault, the player's fault, once the person gets into PokerStars, there's some expectation that PokerStars will put a stop to anything that looks suspicious. So let me tell you what I think should and shouldn't be done by PokerStars. For example, if somebody hacks your account and goes on and sits and plays at a game just for fun, with your money, and chunks it all off. It's known as joyriding, by the way, just sitting at a table for fun with someone else's money on a hacked account, not really with the intention to steal that person's money, but just to have fun playing uh, games you normally wouldn't play or to play with someone else's money. Uh, I can't see how PokerStars can prevent that. PokerStars can't look through your screen and see who you are. So if joyriding happens, uh, it's unfortunate, but there's nothing that can be done. And you can't even take the money back from the people who won it because the people who win it are, are not cheating. They're just playing what they believe is, is, is you. So uh, I, I don't play PokerStars if that happens. Uh, furthermore, I don't think PokerStars has to shut down an account just because it logs in from a different place uh, within reason. So... If they're showing that somebody logged in from uh, Los Angeles and then 10 minutes later they've logged in from uh, San Francisco, you may say, oh, well, how can someone go from L.A. to San Francisco? Only Superman could do that. Well, no, that's not true because IP addresses don't always perfectly show location. And especially if someone switches from like their... uh, uh, their home IP to their cell phone IP, you can have hundreds of miles differences with someone playing from the same place. So you got to be careful with that. Uh, you can't lock up every account that does that. Otherwise, uh, PokerStars is going to be locking up uh, thousands of accounts falsely, and they can't... Not only is that inconvenient to the players, but they probably don't even have the manpower to deal with the constant uh, support emails they'll get about something like that. So I, I, that type of stuff, I don't blame PokerStars. There's only so much they can do. You, you are responsible for your own password. You have to watch closely. But let me tell you some things they should do. Number one, if you are logged into PokerStars and then you log out and someone logs in under your account from a different country, I think it's pretty safe to say that the person logging in is not you. 
and they should immediately flag that and stop it. If uh, depends. I mean, how are you going to go like ten ten minutes from one country to another? I've never seen the uh, the IP address jumping from country to country like that. Well, I used to live in a in a beach town on the border between Washington State and British Columbia, and sometimes it said on my phone I was roaming in the states when I was too far down the beach because I was close to the line. Okay, but, then maybe to moderate it in, in situations like that, where maybe countries that you yeah, you'd have, to, kind of, border you'd have to be kind of geo specific on that. Yeah, or, especially or, in Europe, aren't there like you know all those countries are close together? But yeah, I, yeah. I get your... yeah. So uh, if some, well, yeah, I don't maybe not in a, a different country like where it can be very close, but something that's very far, clearly very far away, and a different country. Right. Uh, definitely, uh, if you, if you have somebody who is uh, in in Sweden. And then someone logs in from Malaysia on the same account, then you've got to you got to shut that down. There's no way that's yeah, the same person. There you go. Uh, if somebody attempts to withdraw to a bank account or a net teller account which does not belong to them or is different from what they've withdrawn from before, especially if they're from a different IP, this should not be allowed. Or there should be at least uh, further security checks before this be allowed. I, I think everybody. I don't think anybody would complain. That poker stars would say, "Hey, uh, you're using a different net teller account than before. Can you send in some more verification details before we let you withdraw?" No one's going to say, "Oh my God, that's unreasonable." No, it actually, I assumed that that was already the case. Yeah, I don't think to you get honest. one post ever on Two Plus Two saying, "Oh my God, can you believe poker stars did this?" I switched net teller accounts, and they wouldn't let me instantly withdraw to it without verifying me. I don't think we'd even see one complaint about that ever for any reason. No, or or in countries like you know Canada here where it's semi-legal, I can put it straight in my bank account. I would assume if someone tries to withdraw to a bank account with somebody else's name, they would stop that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so amazingly, these things were not stopped. So uh, <laughs> here are some examples from uh, from the two plus two thread where people were. Uh, Talking about what happened to them There is a player in Quote country A And the account was then Logged into from country B I don't know which two, account, which two countries these were Or how close they were Then $10 was deposited Using a net teller account Which was not the PokerStars account holder's account And it went through <laughs> Uh, now you may say, what's the big deal? It's deposited. Well, you'll see why this matters. Because now it's established that it's deposited okay, and now that account is associated, that net teller account is associated with, with that PokerStars account. So they they invest $10 in this little scam here. Right. Uh, they then traded 70,000 frequent player points for $70. So they, they basically cashed in that person's FPPs. The hacker then played with that account's money, losing most of it. Then, the hacker used a credit card in the account, uh, not in the account holder's name, to make numerous $55 deposits totaling about $1,000. <laughs> Somehow that wasn't a big deal either. And then, two $800 withdrawals were made to a net teller account that did not belong to the PokerStars player. <laughs> this really happened on PokerStar. Can you believe this? I mean, yeah. they didn't verify. They're like, okay, yeah, you deposited ten dollars, no problem. Yeah, you want to withdraw sixteen hundred? Okay, no problem. I mean, you deposited ten, 
from this other account. It has to be a good account, right? Like, oh, it's some, someone else's name? Oh, no big deal. You deposited $10, so it's got to be legit. Like, what the hell were they thinking? Uh, I mean, I'm surprised somebody – I'm surprised that this hasn't been bigger than this, Yeah, okay. to be honest, if, if this is the level of security. <laughs> then, I mean, I mean if I, I, can I get on Daniel Negreanu's account, put in 10 and take out a million? Like, <laughs> Maybe you should go to Choice Center and have like a, a session with Negranu <laughs> and talk him into telling you his password and then some kind of trust exercise. And yeah, then, that's part and, of the open healing exercise. Yeah, yeah, and then tell us all your poker passwords. And then and then you can go on and deposit ten bucks from from Canada and then withdraw a million. And they'll say, "Okay, Daniel, here you go. Here's your money." So, okay, uh, player number two. Now, in this case, he was logged into his account and then someone else logged in from the same country. But uh, about 160 miles away. Now, that part's not a big deal for the reasons I said. Uh, now, yes, it happened minutes later, but still, as I was saying, that part's not a big deal. But this part is a big deal. A few minutes later, the player's self-imposed $20 deposit limit had been increased to $1,500 a week. <laughs> See, so you, you think when someone who had a limit of $20... Not because PokerStar said they're only trusted with $20, but because this person said, hey, I, I could be a sick gambler, potentially, so please limit me to $20. And then someone logs in from a different IP that's never been seen before, about 150 miles away, and says, you know what, uh, forget what I said about the $20, raise it to 1500 And PokerStar is like, duh, okay, here you go. They don't bother to look into the IP log. Like, at least see it's a new IP and say, hey, you know, we're a little concerned. There's a new IP. You're making such a drastic change. How about proving it's you? Uh, so then it goes further. Six deposits were attempted with three different credit cards. The first one for $181.45 succeeded. Uh, I don't know about the other two. But all of them were for different, seemingly random amounts. So they weren't like round numbers. It was for weird amounts like that, like 181.45. Uh, then the hacker played in a $200 hyper 6-max sit-and-go and lost. So uh, this is pretty ridiculous that PokerStars... I, I can understand not locking up accounts who log in from, from different IPs or different uh, uh, locations that appear from the IP to be far away but may not, may not actually be that far. And maybe the same person. But how can they allow this sort of thing? How can they allow someone under a new IP that appears to be far away to change the deposit limits without any kind of ID and then make all these deposits with different credit cards that I assume it didn't say in this case, but I assume they were done with credit cards not in that account holder's name? Uh, this shouldn't be allowed at all. It should be you deposit under your own name and that's it. I, I don't see why they're – I didn't even know this is allowed. Like, like even on sites uh, like, No, I assumed it wasn't. Like even on sites like Bodog – I, I, I can't deposit it under other people's names. Even though, as much as they want my money on there, uh, if I try to deposit it in anyone's name, even like my dad's name, they'll say no. They'll say it's got to be your name or nothing. So I'm surprised PokerStars allows this, but amazingly allows this without any kind of verification. And, and they don't bother to even look at some red flags like, wow, it's someone from a different country logging in and is using a different net teller and, and now suddenly is depositing under different names and now wants to withdraw to a different, that same you know, $10 net teller that was used to change in the first place. Like, how could they not see this? How, how is there not some sort of automated system in place? I know PokerStars can't scrutinize every little thing with the huge player base they have, but there should be some automated checks that say, okay, this isn't your name, can't do it, or 
Gotta right. seriously it should verify. just be A does not equal A. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, like it's it's not that complicated. I mean, I know they have those iPhones protecting the security room with the fingerprint. Yeah, uh, maybe they're maybe they're scanner, but... maybe what they're doing is they're spending too much time with it with fingerprint scanners and lasers and not bothering to to stop the simplest stuff. It's like it's like they have the most advanced security system, but uh, they don't bother to lock the front door. Like I, yeah, I don't get it. Exactly. It's it's so weird. And this is, I mean, maybe this is Sheldon Adelson. He's doing this. So he's going to present this in the hearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sheldon Adelson like, will this, say, hey, like, like, this doesn't look like this fuels all the people's, you know, ridiculous things about, uh, you know, oh, this is, you can play true. and some kid's going to get on. Like, this is not good. That's true. You know what? Sheldon Adelson should take this and, and he should bring this to the hearing. Sheldon, if you're listening here, uh, on, on March 25th. <laughs> if you're listening, I suggested it and I will be rewarded. Yeah, yeah, Sheldon. I have no problem taking your money. Yeah, Sheldon, on March 25th, take this story to the hearing. Show how easy it is to deposit and withdraw under other people's names on the biggest, most experienced online poker site in the world and one that is probably coming to the U.S. at some point. Make sure to show them that, Sheldon. And if your your tactic works, if you get RAWA passed, I expect for you to write me a check for the, giving you this idea for no less than... Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is my idea. One million Okay, I'll give you 100000 of it. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take 900 k You can have 100 k I get, I get 90% because this is my show. And then you can, you can get uh, the 100 k uh, finder's fee. Oh, boy. Okay. So... I'm getting the opposite of Gentile here. Go on. <laughs> so... All right, I, I don't understand what's going on here. Uh, now, what did Poker Stars have to say about this? Did they say, "Oh, sorry, we messed this up"? Oops! Like, what did they have to say? Did they say that they are going to change everything and that uh, this is never going to happen again? No. Oddly enough, all they have done is puff out their chest and talk about how good they've been with security and how little actual harm has come from this. So so rather than, yeah, we screwed up, we're going to change things, sorry about this, but but by the way, nothing that bad happened. It was only small amounts of money for the most part. Uh, this is what was said. This is by Michael Josem, who uh, I, I otherwise like. He was on 60 Minutes with me. He's a nice guy. And, uh, you know, the, the only area I usually disagree with him with is, is Poker Stars. He works there. He's the... Uh, head of PR there, and I guess this is what a PR guy has to do. But he said, even after a hacker gains access to a player's login credentials and accesses an account, PokerStars works to minimize the financial harm caused. I don't see how they have. (laughs) Of the hacks that have been identified to PokerStars, despite players often inadvertently giving their account login credentials to unauthorized users, PokerStars was still able to ensure that no funds were lost in about 52% of the cases in January and February. Well, okay, that's that's great, but that means forty-eight percent funds were lost. That's that's not. They're they're slightly better than average. Yeah, that's that's not the greatest uh, record with security. We we've stopped uh, fifty-two percent of thefts here. You should be proud of us. Yeah, that's like uh, my local police department had a fifty-two percent closure rate on murders. I would not be singing their praises. We compile an internal report at the end of each month and see no significant deviation from that trend so far in March. Good job. <laughs> Good job, PokerStars. <laughs> you're, you're 52% working out. You're, you're, gonna, you're the 52%ers. Good job. So uh, even when harm is caused to player accounts, he continues, the amount of harm caused is relatively low in absolute terms, but PokerStars wants to continue to reduce this further. Of the remaining 48% of cases from earlier this year where hackers have been able to cause financial harm, the median loss to each player per hack was $57.09. Now, 
That's a curious statement because he did not say average loss. He said median loss. And for those of you that don't remember this from junior high mathematics, and I'm, I'm not trying to be condescending here. I know some people you know, really aren't math people and may not really have paid attention to what median and average are. Uh, if, if we're talking about uh, five numbers here, one, two, three, a million, and two million, the median is three. Because that's the one in the middle. Right. It literally means middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not the average. Now, the average yes. there would be very large. The average would be about uh, 600,000. But, but the median is three. Mm-hmm. Very, very big difference. Now, this is an extreme case. But I think if the average loss was 5709, that's probably what he would have said. I think he took median because it was probably a combination of pennies being stolen you know, up to a few bucks. And then, and then on the other side, large amounts being stolen where the average was probably high. But the, there's probably a lot more of the uh, lower amounts stolen, which means the median was pretty low. So uh, uh, if there's a few big ones at the top that are uh, dragging up the average, then uh, that, that's the problem. Is that I think uh, I, I think the big ones were very big, and there wasn't much in between. It's probably very big or very small. So they took the median rather than the average. So uh, that's. I think already misleading, but but even if it's true, even if you want to say the average is 59, I'm mean, sure it is true, but even if you want to say the average is close to that, which I'm sure it's not, who cares? This shouldn't be happening. This is an amazingly bad dropping of the ball with security there. It's, things happen there that surprise both of us here that e- they even could happen in the first place. Like very basic things. You don't let accounts withdraw to accounts that are not in the name of the account holder on PokerStars. I can't even imagine why that's allowed. Or, or not allowed. With, if you're going to allow it, make sure that there's very, very tight security checks where you're sure that the person allowing it is the account holder. So crazy stuff here. They obviously really had some holes in their security, and someone must have realized it. I don't know. How does one? Do you think someone just lucked into realizing this, or do you think someone uh, noticed, like maybe they were playing one day and they busted, and they said, "Hey, uh, do you have a working net teller account?" Yeah, well, it probably won't work. Let me try to use your net teller. Oh, wow, it works. Oh, wow, I have an idea. That's probably how it started, because, like I said, I would think most people would assume if you just had that idea independent of itself, they'd say, "Well, that'll never work. Yeah. You can't withdraw from someone else's name to account in your name." Yeah, I mean, the po- Poker Stars isn't that stupid. Poker Stars has been around for 13 years. How how can they have made this mistake? It's crazy, and they made a lot of mistakes here. They're just, hopefully, Poker Stars likes to not admit fault. They're big on that. They're big on uh, trying and trying and trying to either avoid or cast the blame elsewhere. You can tell they're even kind of doing that here, saying, "Hey, it's the players' fault. They gave out their uh, their password accidentally. People tricked them. It's on them." But we still stopped at fifty-two percent of the time. That's what he's trying to say: is you screwed up, but we still saved you from yourself fifty-two percent of the time. And right. and the players have a responsibility. I'm not saying Poker Stars is their mother and and, and should be uh, wiping their butt every time. And uh, you know, if if you give out your own password stupidly, or, or if someone tricks you into downloading malware. Uh, or keyloggers, then some of that's on you. But the truth is, not everybody is as technical as others, and 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 some people are are easily fooled. And that doesn't mean they should be stolen from. It means and poker stars, they they do have some burden of security here. They and as I said, I'm not feeling that they have to prevent every instance like this. Some are impossible to prevent, but the, this definitely wasn't. 
Well, here's something that uh, Italy feels like PokerStars is preventing. And that is they feel that uh, PokerStars has been practicing avoidance with taxes. <laughs> that's, that's what they think has been happening. Is uh, And Italy wants to progressively collect? Is that what you're saying? Yes. In <laughs> <laughs> case you don't know what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a MC type style. You guys are cool. So I can just break into it. Poker is fun for everyone except my opponents. They should have practiced avoidance. They ain't big proponents. Not just in the moment, but the possible future problems. Sometimes comes tough to solve them. Then I awaken to a dream. I fell asleep at Spirit Rock 15 seconds with aces before they drop. Before they drop. Poker is fun for everyone except my opponents. They should have practiced avoidance. Okay, the the great Prahlad Friedman, who... uh, very uh, ethical guy who didn't want to sign with any kind of poker site during the height of his popularity because he felt they were evil corporations. He doesn't want to uh, ever put his name along uh, you know, to promote any kind of corporation. He's big for the little guy until uh, until he went broke and, and needed money to keep playing and UB was going to give it to him, so you know, why not sign with them? <laughs> not a hypocrite at all But uh, anyway, Prahlad Friedman That was his uh, rap about uh, Poker is fun for everyone So uh, Poker Stars is uh, practicing avoidance According to Italy With taxes Th- This is basically what Italy's saying They are saying that Poker Stars Was transferring income Over to Malta As, as kind of a-, a tax haven sort of situation so, so money they actually made in Italy, 300, Euro, 300 million euros, they transferred over to Malta and pretended they made the money there, therefore not having to pay Italian tax, which I don't know. I, that sounds like something that I could see them doing. Uh, this is the statement from Guardia di Finanza, not George Costanza, but Guardia di Finanza, uh, they said that uh, they they filed uh, tax fraud charges against a particular individual uh, who is a member of the PokerStars board. They will not say who it is, but uh, they have char- filed tax fraud charges against one of the PokerStars board members. Now, this is a uh, here's an announcement from them, and this is translated. So it's going to sound a little bit weird, but I'll, I'll try to translate the translation so it makes a little more sense. A max tax evasion was discovered by uh, the yellow flame of the Provincial Command of Rome. I don't think a flame discovered it unless it was a... Maybe, maybe it was a, a gay person at the command of that. I don't know, but uh, otherwise I don't think a flame discovered it. Uh, a and, gay and, Asian, and this is a very <laughs> inflammatory statement. <laughs> As as part of the operation called All In, which is a stupid old name of that, come on, which allowed to bring back Italy the real market value of transactions between the company of an internal group recovering the highest undeclared income to Italian tax authorities. They're trying to say uh, 
we had a an operation called All In to determine the real revenue of poker stars in Italy. At the center of the investigation is over a group that, through the establishment of two national companies, manages, in fact, the game of poker online in Italy. Uh, Examination of copious documentation, accounting, computerized analysis of flows and monitoring carried out at the service providers of the group. Uh, The military of the group Rome reconstructed by the company of the Italian group. Well, this is confusing. Anyway, uh, what they're trying to say here let me skip down here to where it's not as confusing. The tax investigation centered on the analysis of the intercompany transactions made between 2009 and 2014 by the multinational Isle of Man with Italian subsidiary uh, showed that uh, the H, that's an abbreviation, has willfully eroded their tax base, decreasing the value of services rendered to Group P so as to shift the taxation of income produced in Italy to Malta and Isle of Man, which in the field of virtual game reserve tax treatment particularly facilitated. They're saying basically that they uh, they, 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 tra- they claim that they made a lot less money. In, yeah, they, they claim they made a lot less money in Italy and a lot more in, uh, in Malta and Isle of Man, where it's much more favorable tax-wise is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the technique the technique used is that of quote transfer pricing to minimize the overall tax burden burden by shifting revenues where taxation is cheaper. Uh, example given Malta, Isle of Man, etc., and costs where, however, the rate of sets are higher. I don't know what that means. But that's, that's a weird translation. So anyway, uh, oh, here's here's the last part. Uh, the implementation of complex criminal design was made possible thanks to the top position. I hope this isn't a gay thing. The top position assumed in all subsidiaries by the sole director of the group now sued for tax evasion. Functional, I think it is a gay thing, functional? Function, I, I don't know why I know this, but functional is actually a term for uh, transsexuals who, uh, who can still use their penis, who can still get erect, by the way. That's, uh, and you don't know why you know this. I, I don't know why I know this, but I know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if you're uh, if you're looking for a, a transsexual prostitute in Vegas, if that's if you're into that, and and you want them to be able to get hard, make sure to ask if they're functional. Trust me on this one. But uh, functional to be able to do ter- determine and influence the managerial uh, autonomy in view of its exclusive personal. Adv- I don't know why everything I read here I think it's gay. I, I have a gay. <laughs> well, that, that does hold true for your definition as well. <laughs> so that's how you influence uh, management. Be yeah. functional. <laughs> so. So they're trying to say here that uh, the sole director of the group of of this board, they're claiming the director, I don't know if that's who it is, but they're suing him for tax evasion and that uh, he was responsible for it. Within hours of the announcement of these charges, PokerStars issued a brief statement denying it. This is from Eric Holreiser at PokerStars. PokerStars has been working with Italian tax authorities since they launched an audit several years ago. We've operated in compliance with applicable, applicable local tax regulations and have paid 120 million euros in local taxes over the period covered by the audit. Like many other global e-commerce companies, we vigorously dispute the stance of the tax authority regarding the local establishment. The audit is ongoing. We hope to resolve the issue in our favor soon. In the meantime, our operations continue as usual and... We remain focused on delivering the most popular online poker service to the Italian market. I, I, I don't like that response because this reminds me of UB's response, and which, which was repeated by Prahlad, by the way. When Prahlad was asked, why did you come back to UB? How do you trust that the refunds they gave you 
were correct, you got a very large refund, Prahlad. How are you trusting that since you were one of the biggest cheating victims that they gave you a correct refund since they are being kind of evasive with providing the data that they used to calculate these refunds? And Prahlad said back, well, I got back such a large number that it had to be right. So <laughs> what does that mean? Right. If you got back a large number, why couldn't it be a larger number? He didn't say he had calculated it to be that and it matched. Just, oh, they gave me so much money, I can't imagine how it could be more than that. I didn't calculate it or anything. I didn't figure it out. I'm just thinking, well, it's a big number. A big number has to be honest. Like So PokerStars is kind of saying the same thing here. We've paid 120 million euros in taxes. So if we've paid this much, there's no way we could have owed another 120. There's no chance of that because 120 <laughs> is such a big number. How could we possibly owe more than that? Uh, and, uh, I, you know, the whole rake increase thing was because certain countries increased the taxes mm-hmm. um, in certain jurisdictions. So they're very cognizant yeah. of this. So, yeah, to come out and say so imprecisely, well, this number is so big, I doubt it could be bigger. It's like <laughs> you're a company. You have accountants. This is, yeah, I, I don't know why this they This is a weird like, response. Yeah, it is a weird response. Why not say that we've, we've gone through this very carefully? We cannot find any evidence whatsoever that we could have owed a penny more in taxes. We were, we were very yeah. diligent in computing it. There's no chance there's an error. Instead, this is like, oh, we paid so much, and, and oh, it's still ongoing, and we, we think we're going to be proven right. It's, to me, that kind of looks like uh, we think we can worm out of this one. It's just odd. And, you know, I know this is a common thing for companies to try to avoid paying taxes. That's a very common practice among companies, especially that operate in various jurisdictions. And and it becomes kind of, I I can see even morally how poker stars may see themselves in the right. They may say, look, look, you know, we're offering these games in Italy, but the truth is all the work's being done in the Isle of Man and being done in Malta. And why, you know, why should Italy get so many taxes when when really all the work's taking place here? We don't feel bad about this F them. We're going to, we're going to cook the books a bit and screw Italy. They'll, they'll, they're getting enough as it is. And, you know, they may kind of be right about that, but the, you know, if they want to operate as a legal site in Italy and have made an agreement to pay certain amount of taxes, they, they should pay it. They should pay what they agree. Also, they're trying to come into the U.S. You know, there's the issue of the bad actor clause. Is this really, I don't know. I mean. Yeah, it could hurt. It's true. It could really hurt them for the bad actor clause situation if this is proven by Italy that they were uh, dodging taxes. Mm-hmm. So, see where that goes. It'll be interesting to see who is named. It'd be funny if it's Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I it'd be funny if Lee Jones is the one who's going to get busted for this. I, I don't think so. I don't think he's on the board, but it'd be, it would just be funny. All right. Um, I, anyone, please don't go tell Lee Jones that I was accusing him of tax evasion. I'm not. I don't even think he's on the board. I think he has nothing to do with this, but I just thought it'd be funny. Okay. Let's take a look in the chat room. Uh, seriously, serious says the statement probably points out the number because the headline could leave some people think Stars was paying zero taxes. Yeah, I, he raises a good point. I, I think that there's nothing wrong with stating how much they paid, but it seems like they're focusing more on that than we're 100% sure we paid the right the right taxes. We, w- we went over it very carefully. Like, we're not seeing that. We're seeing, like, we paid this much, uh, and audit process is ongoing. Uh, when it's over, we think we'll be right. Like that's kind of what they're saying, rather than how could this possibly be? We've we've been very very diligent. We can't see any chance of this. So it just seemed too weak of a statement to me. All right. Uh, for the five six one area code, 
text I received at uh, 775-372-8355. Do you know if MyCon has been charged yet? If not, why not? You know, I, I don't. And I'll tell you, this is going to be a hard thing to find out, I think. Uh, I think maybe if you search the Clark County court calendar, maybe. But because this is a state-level case, it may not be at Clark County Court. I, I don't even know where to search for this. I suppose if you want to call the Nevada Gaming Commission, they might be willing to tell you if there has been a case filed, especially if you tell them you're some kind of media. Uh, and you're not really lying. I mean, you could just make up your own media company and say that's your media company, and in a way it really is. Uh, sure. But uh, you can ask them. I haven't made this such a call. I have not... In case you're wondering, I haven't done any investigation on this matter. I have not... Uh, Contacted the NGC I haven't asked them any questions I haven't told them anything I, I have had nothing to do with any of this On either side I've, I've really just been an observer That's really all I've been And I promise you that's all I've done just Did you see the uh, in the Dutch boy Twitch thread That he, uh, he, he was talking about the MyCon situation? No Actually he did a Twitch stream And I actually asked him in the Twitch stream Because he had busted out And he said I'll take a few questions And I said well, what do you think About the whole Seasons Club MyCon thing? Hmm. And uh, he said, well, I don't know how MyCon didn't know it was illegal. Hmm. Uh, he said, you know, I, I, I'm dear friends with him, and uh, but I think what he's doing and what he's doing to his family is wrong. Wow. And I guess he said he talked to him in Antigua, and he said basically, you know, come home. And, you know, let's, you know, let's try and figure this out. And uh, MyCon refused. And Dutch made a really great point, which was, you know, he, he said he was trying to tell him that Antigua was it's just a it's just a prison with a beach. Like he, he's trying to stay out of prison by being there, but he, he also is in prison in a sense. Because, yeah, he is. Yeah, it's a yeah. that's a good point. Again, this is not from a hater of Mycon. This is from his friend. No, this is from one of his dear friends. Yeah, and, but, and I can uh, verify that that uh, you know from the time I was friends with Mycon, Dutch has been a longtime friend of Mycon's. This has never been a hater of his. They never had any falling out. Uh, as I've seen, they've always been friends, and uh, and even Dutch is saying, uh, even publicly, "Hey, this is crazy. Why are you doing this?" I, I, yeah. I was surprised. I mean, I when I heard, I was not surprised he got in trouble. Of it. I knew that would happen one day, but I I was surprised that he just took off like that rather than just trying to face the music. I assumed what he would do, especially since it seemed like he made some money from the whole thing, is, is either try to strike a deal where he pays some kind of fine and they don't put him in prison, or or uh, or, or try to hire a good lawyer. And and argue that Bitcoin is is not real money, and and uh, try to get off on that technicality. <laughs> the other hilarious thing he said was uh, to Mike on's point about oh they came in with guns and it was unnecessary, and <laughs> Dutch said, well they they probably saw his videos and he looks like a crackhead. <laughs> so, okay, but uh, you know and and by the way shout out uh, plug for. Uh, Dutch's Twitch, it's uh, it's very interesting, and uh... Dutch Boyd has really his stock has really gone up since his book came out. Like it, his stock was falling and falling. Like you know, he was seen as someone who who wasn't paying Mason Malmuth for, the, for that uh, judgment, and someone mm-hmm. who who didn't play pay anyone from Poker Spot. People were were mad about that, and that he took money for, as. Uh, advanced funding for his book that never came out and just dragged and dragged, and people thought he probably just made off with that money, and just everyone hated Dutch. And then his book came out. So first of all, everyone who was pissed that he didn't actually produce the book that had donated to him through the crowdfunding was no longer pissed because the book came out. Then people liked that the book was good. People enjoyed the book. The book was very well received, and and it came off very likable in the book. 
So this just turned everything around. Now he's doing this Twitch thing, so all of a sudden Dutch Boyd has gone for, and then he paid Mason Malmuth not voluntarily, but you know he did mm-hmm. he did pay. He and, apologized. And he also to Mason. did sort of say he was wrong on that. Yeah, he, event, he you know. yeah, and he apologized. Yeah, and then Mason had to be an asshole and sticky the apology, which is very Mason like, and uh, it, you know Dutch really has. Turned everything around and surprisingly, without even paying anyone from from Poker Spot, which I, I really wish he would do, mm-hmm. because I still think I don't think he was stealing the money, but he did mislead people to keep depositing there, hoping like in a full tilt sort of manner of, of trying to stay afloat. And and second, uh, when you make a bad choice with a payment processor, uh, you have to live and die with your choices. Just as if he made a good choice, then he may have ended up with a huge site and made uh, right. huge money. And so. Yeah, and I haven't read the book, but uh, based on that Twitch interaction and everything, he actually sent me a copy for free, so I'm looking forward to reading that. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. he's, he's, Dutch has really tried very hard and succeeded to turn around the poker community's opinion of him. So, uh, But you know, he definitely raised good points with what he told you there. I didn't I didn't know about that. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, it's in the, it's in the Dutch's uh, starting a Twitch stream thread on the site if anybody wants to look at it. Yeah, so... Uh... JStat saying in chat that Mike on flying his drones over the Bellagio didn't endear him with the NGC. I, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I don't but, think they. But I, I think might the not NGC, endear him with the Bellagio. But yeah, I, I think that. Uh, I I still wonder. I still wonder, and I I don't know the answer to this, and I probably never will, unless maybe there's a, a you know maybe when there's a court case about this, we'll find out. Who was it that brought this to the attention of the NGC? Did they just figure it out on their own? Did Caesars report him? Like like what happened? What what made the Nevada Gaming Commission go after Mike, huh? Mm. And I, I would guess it disseminated from the FBI and their reporting on bitcoins, but who knows? Oh, really? See, I, I was just assuming Caesars did it, but who knows? Yeah, it could be. You see, you know, Caesars kind of has that fail site in Nevada with WSOP.com. And... Maybe it was Ultimate Poker, you know, these pirates. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was Ultimate Poker. Maybe they're like, you know what? We're going down. We're taking seals with us. Yeah. <laughs> Get your friction in Antigua, buddy. He's going to get you know, the... the CEO of uh, Ultimate Poker, like, you know what? This company's going to fail. I'm going to be out of a job. I'm going to be embarrassed, but I can still live in the U.S. I know <laughs> someone, one of the pirates is not going to be able to after this. I, uh, I'm i going to take you guys yeah. down with me. Now that I, that's, that's probably the most possible. He, he wanted, the, the pirate wanted to, uh, he wants to sink the pirate ship as he was going down. <laughs> Send him out to sea. Yeah, he, yeah. he fired a cannon at the pirate ship just before he sunk. Okay, so. I don't know what got us into talking about that. Whatever. <laughs> Let, let's go on to the next topic. The uh, World Poker Tour's Mike Sexton criticizing the World Series of Poker. And this is a good topic. This is a good topic. This is what Mike Sexton had to say. This is on March 5th. I, I should have honestly covered this on March 8th on the last show, but I'm glad I didn't because Ty Stewart responded after March 8th. So now we yeah, have And you, you have a clip of that, right, Jeff? Or... Of, of what? Of Ty's response. I have – it's a comment, actually. Did he respond uh, – I, I have a written response. Is there a clip? Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't know there's a clip. There is one. No, never mind. Oh, okay. I thought – okay. I know you Yeah, said. no, no I'm you, setting If you. it go was ahead. Seth Polanski, I would have had the clip. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. But, you know what's funny? I actually thought of that. It's funny. I thought about that before the show. I go, I better prefer, prepare the Seth Polanski <laughs> for the segment. I go, no, this is Ty, Ty Stewart. It's too much of a stretch. I know. And then, and then I forgot I was thinking of it, so you confused me. Then I thought maybe there really was a clip. Okay. <laughs> no. That's a big joke fail we had here. All right, so Mike Sexton, who has been in poker forever in various forms, 
He was around at party poker from really the very beginning. I once got a call in, in uh, I think, 2001, either 01 or early 02. I'm sitting at work. That shows you how long ago it was. And I get a call on my cell, and I answer, Oh, yeah, can I speak to Todd Wattellos, please? Yeah, this is Todd. Oh, yeah, Todd, this is, hi, this is Mike Sexton. And it really was him. It wasn't a prank. I, I'd like to know why, uh, you know, you ain't been on uh, on uh, part of poker lately. You used to be very active on the site. Now you don't come on here no more. What? He, it was a real call. And it, like, it was not a prank. Oh, I've never the, heard this. This was way before I, I, who Dan Druff was known. Like, no no one knew who I was then. It was years before uh-huh. that Todd Wattellis was known at all in poker. I was just uh, Dan Druff, and no one knew who that was. Uh, I didn't even play as Dandruff on Party Poker. It was really him. It was definitely the voice, and he had access to all the account details. And and it was true. I hadn't played in a while. I, I started playing on True Poker and, and other places. And and he asked me to come back. And Party Poker was pretty small. It must have been 01, because 02 they were already big. This is near the beginning for, for Party Poker. And he actually personally asked me to come back. So I said, I don't remember if I did or not. But uh, and, and did you know who he was at the time? Yeah, I knew who he was. Okay. Uh, just, just from uh, he was he's a, like a longtime poker community member. Uh, there was right, there was, right. There was no, I wasn't uh, sure if you were in the same circles. Yeah, or... yeah. No, no WBT uh, on TV yet or anything. But uh, right, yeah, I knew who he was, and he also wrote a column in oh. Card Player. So uh, anyway, this is what he wrote. I'm a party poker, and by the way, this is on PartyPoker.com's blog. I'm a party poker and WBT guy and have no grievances against the World Series of Poker. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The opinions expressed in this article are from an old-school poker player who has always had nothing but love and respect for the WSOP. I, I believe that, but I think he wouldn't be saying it, this is about the WBT. I think he wouldn't be bashing his own company, but yeah, I, I do believe true. this is from the heart. I think these are real criticisms he has, and he's willing to express them because this is not his company, it's the competition. I agree, and I agree it's because he does care about the World Series. Yeah. But... I seriously doubt that anyone has loved, supported... Uh, wanted to win a bracelet or respected the historical aspect of the WSOP and what it has meant to poker more than me. I've been to every WSOP since 1984. That's a long time. I was 12 in 1984. Mm, I I was two. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I loved the WSOP when it was at Binion's and I have admired how it has grown since Harris took control in 2004. It has been remarkable to watch the transformation. I'm also wowed by the WSOP's organizational skills. I am, too, in a different way. Uh, <laughs> the, the brilliant job they do operationally. I wouldn't say yes. that either. And the entirety Poker of the... cards, the tents. <laughs> oh, it's a marvel. <laughs> and, and they fail every time they have a new type of event. Uh, and the entirety of the three-ring circus, that I agree takes place, uh, that takes place at the Rio every year. I still, however, think that they could make some changes beneficial to players. By, by the way, I will say they've done a great job marketing it. That they've, as far as growing it and making it huge, that they've done a fine job. But uh, as far as o- operationally, they've, uh, they've dropped the ball many, many times, as we've chronicled on this show very, very often whenever the World Series comes around. Uh, th- he goes on to write, Their effort to try new things, like the November 9, is admirable, but I'm personally against it. I think the negatives outweigh the positives, and here's what I'm not a big fan of. Number one, the WSOP keeping players' money for four months. Number two, players having an opportunity to train for an additional four months. Number three, those of us that are in shape are being penalized for allowing others months off to rest, etc. One of these days, someone is going to die in the four months before the final table, 
I'm guessing they'll put a little coffin on the table and blind that person off, a somber victor for the eventual winner. <laughs> I can't believe he ins- inserting like humor here. It's kind of weird. Like it's, it's a serious essay, and then he throws in like they're gonna put a coffin at the table. Very weird. That that whole point is very odd, by the way. That those of us that are in shape, what is he talking about? Like, uh, well, he's talking about poker shape. So he's saying he doesn't want the amateurs to be able to train in four months and catch up. Well, no, to that's the second pros, point. But... The third point is those of us that are in shape, uh, uh, we don't have to rest, and those that aren't in shape do get to rest. Which I think is, I mean, you can rest if there's a week in between, you can rest very easily. That's that's a weird point. And uh, uh, the I, I have brought up before the whole thing about the person dying, and and while it may be a long time until we see that, I, I think he's right. Is that Especially if someone older Makes the final table See, the, I think what may prevent this is that Most of the final table is young Right But if you get old people making the final table Four months is a long enough time Where yeah one could die And, and it is Or their health can go downhill To where they can't play Or would be severely impaired to play I just don't think it's fair To make someone wait four months To complete something for such life changing money It's just a uh, I know it's fair in the way they disclosed this beforehand, so I shouldn't. I'm not saying it should be illegal or they're scamming anyone, but I just don't think it's uh, it's right. But but the weird thing about the time to rest is weird. You don't need four months to rest. Uh, if anything, you don't get much rest because you're constantly nervous about what's going to happen. It's I, I'd have anxiety here. I took that as a metaphor, but if he means it literally, then that's weird. But okay, he's saying those of us in shape. It's really weird. It's a weird thing to say. Uh, then he says uh, number four, a player in. From Finland, South Africa, or Australia one of these days is going to make it to the final table with two to three big blinds and have to travel all the way back to Vegas to most likely go out in the first couple of hands and receive no additional money. Well, big deal. I mean, that's a, You're going to the World Series main final table. That's a decent reason to travel. You still have a shot. I mean, it's a... I don't think it, would it, it is, but wouldn't you rather do it when you're already there? Oh, I, I would, but I don't I think mean, that's a. They, and they pay for the people to fly back, by the way. So it's a, they they do, but I mean, to the, uh, do they pay for everything? Do they pay for all their meals, their hotel? Are they paying for a babysitter back home, or if they have to leave their yeah, job? Like I, it's complicated. You it, know? it is complicated. I'm, I'm not I'm not pro November nine. Like the first few points he's bringing up, but I think this is a small point. I don't think I don't think someone's going to fly there and say. Boy, I wasted my time. I mean, they made frustration, but no one's going to feel like, oh, I hope I uh, I get better than ninth. Or I've, I've wasted my time coming back here. You don't really think of it that way because you're coming back to such a huge thing. A waste of time sort of thing is where uh, they end a $1,000 buy-in event uh, day one, two people before the money, and then you have to come back the next day when, when you have uh, uh, just about no chips left and and you're the first one to blind off and and, and bust and, and then you miss another event because of that you say well that's uh that's a waste of my time this is such a huge thing i can't see someone saying it's a waste of their time no no i i don't think it's a waste of time i just think it 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 is inconveniencing somebody that obviously would otherwise just i'm here already you know it could be an 18 hour flight or whatever like i just want to get it yeah, over with yeah that's a good point and then he he says simply put the november 9 doesn't put players first i agree with that uh yeah and, well, uh, that's there's a we'll get to the broader points, but yeah, yeah. In, uh, in a in a small of those nine players, I agree. I mean, you have to argue the larger point of is the November nine good for poker in general, and then it's good for everyone. But for those nine players, I agree. It's yeah, better for them to just play it out. We all know they moved the main event final table from July to November for PR and TV reasons. I wish they would allow players to take two days off, one for rest, and the other player for player interviews. 
I, I think that's a little too short. But uh, and play the final table on the third day. I'd be fine with like a week or something for everybody to recoup or something, or maybe uh, maybe four days. At, uh, at the end. Well, see, I I got into poker during the boom in two thousand three, and the way it was kind of presented at that time was the World Series was an endurance contest, and it was kind of about who can play well even after playing for so long i mean i remember you know dan harrington falling asleep at the table and uh them saying oh these guys have played like 16 hour days for like seven eight days in a row you know it's so tough and i took that to be part of the championship now i can understand maybe the other point where people say well we don't want that we don't want people playing sloppy and falling asleep we want the best game on tv but you know for me I guess it's a perception thing of when you started. I always thought of it, that that was part of it, that this is the longest tournament in the world, which it was at the time by a mile, and that, you know, part of it is who can play the best when they've been, you know, kind of beaten down and ragged after so much play. Yeah, well, I, I understand that point. I, I just think uh, I, I don't mind some small changes to, to where they, as you were saying, uh, to where people can be a little more rested for the final table. And and uh, and it's not as much of endurance, but more about uh, skill. And uh, I, the the problem I have with the November nine, as far as being unfair to the the competitors there, is that there's four months in between where that's enough time to get coaching and and study the the opponents and things like that, and really adjust yourself to the play you're going to be facing, and then they can do that to you as well. Which shouldn't yes. be part of it. There shouldn't be a research part of it. And in a few days, you can't do much research or, or do much uh, changing or, or co- have coaches really help you very much. In four months, you can. And I think that's uh, changes at big time. So, yeah, I, I agree. And uh, it's weird. I like, I mean, you know, the old saying: "There's two sides to every story." The problem with stories like this is there's like five sides. There's the actual players at the table. There's poker as a whole. There's Caesars as a company, the World Series as a brand, there's the TV broadcast, so nothing is best for everyone. I still hate the November 9 as a spectator because to me it'd be like, you know, they play the conference finals and then the Super Bowl's four months away. Yeah, that's a good point. Like it takes all the momentum out of it for me. It does, it does. But that's because I, I guess I'm more of a fan, so I see, I mean, I don't watch... Yeah, but stream it, or anything, it, but I see the updates, to... and so I know where people are. Whereas what they do on TV is they run it all together. They don't have a break in the TV uh, broadcast, and that's why they do the November nine because they need that production time for all the days that ran up to it, and then they basically run the November nine. I mean, they tell you it's later, but they run it as if this is all happening sequentially, like week to week. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I see so, what they're doing. Again, there's two sides to that story. Is it the, you know the people that only watch it on TV? Is that better for them because it's not known as much who won, and it's semi live, and it's not because basically the response was well, we can't air it three months late, even though that that's what they did before, and that's what blew up poker. But yeah, so okay, so it's, he goes on to write uh, this. Referring to the two-day rest, this would allow family and friends to tra- time to travel to Las Vegas and watch. The Rio showroom would be, still be jam-packed and rocking and rolling. I'm sure the TV ratings would be good, and most importantly, I feel the vast majority of players would prefer to play the final table in July. In addition, I don't particularly like the Australia and Europe being included in the Player of the Year award. 
We all know this is a decision strictly based upon business factors as it will lure anyone in contention for player of the year to Australia or Europe. But to me, and I'm guessing at least 80 or 90% of the players you ask, that award should go to the player who performs best in Las Vegas. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I I agree, but I may have an, like a North American bias. To me, the World Series is the Vegas part. The other thing is they keep moving the other ones around, so there's no history, there's no consistency. Um, the other thing I really take issue with in this article is them saying, well, we run those overseas events to grow poker, and we, we you know we're like losing money on that. Well, that's bullshit for one. Yeah, I, I I don't believe that for a second. But even if you take that by the most narrow of definitions, which is, okay, the rake is not covering the staff or whatever. The reason they're doing it is to grow the brand. And if somebody wins a bracelet in Europe, they'll probably come to Vegas next year and play 20 events and buy $8 Gatorades. And so even if, you know, narrowly event to event, they're losing money overall, they're not running events to yeah, lose and money. Yeah, I don't believe they're losing money either. But yeah, they. I, I think that... Uh, Mike raises a very good point here that the Player of the Year award for the World Series of Poker, there's enough events in the World Series of Poker in Vegas to where it should have its own Player of the Year, that the World Series of Player of the Year should be just for these events at the main World Series in Las Vegas, especially because it is such an incredible burden to travel to these other places. You can't say, well, you did well in the World Series of Poker uh, in Las Vegas, so now to be player of the year, now you're going to have to travel to Europe and Australia. I mean, uh, a lot of people, that's very tough to do. They shouldn't be required to do this to be player of the year. If you have a great World Series in Vegas and everyone you know, sees how well you did, you should get recognized for it. You shouldn't be screwed by someone who travels everywhere that that runs up more points. It, it's like It would be like giving the batting title in baseball to the person who has the most hits rather than the one who has the best batting average. So, right. uh, so th- this is... Uh, something they shouldn't do. It's just very hard for people to go everywhere to play all these tournaments. And uh, and you can't say that 68 events does not give people enough events to play at at the World Series. And, uh, and, and as he said, it's all about marketing. It's all about trying to get people over to these other events. But it's wrong. And if they really want, have two players of the year. Have a all-World Series event player of the year and uh, a World Series player of the year. Or I don't right. care what you call it, but have one very clearly for the Las Vegas World Series. Don't combine them. The other thing is that that also wor- the Vegas only thing works better from a TV perspective, because you know I remember being rolled into the broadcast. Now this is when they showed prelims, but you know they would kind of say who's moving up and down in the Player of the Year race, and they would give them a truck, and you'd see them driving the truck. Well, they, they don't even televise these events in Europe, right? So what are they going to announce the winner? It's some guy you never heard of because he yeah. won a bunch of stuff in Latin America? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It just that's doesn't a good seem point. to work yeah, for me. That's a good point. People are going to win this who are not well-known and uh, are not as well-known, and the, the ones who seem to be dominating at the World Series at Vegas may not even win, and then people are going to go, what the hell? Right. So, all right, let's uh, let's go on with this. Uh, uh, players should not get a points advantage of the player of your race because of going to Australia nor should others following the World Series of Poker in Vegas be able to catch the leaders due, due to a European excursion so he's saying that you can't you shouldn't be able to find yourself behind the leaders after the main World Series is over and go well, I know what I'll do I'm just going to travel all over the world and catch up because I know this guy's not going to go like right. that's that's totally defeating it. It's not it's not playing on a level playing field. 
for the player of the year. So he goes on to write, While I do love the World Series of Poker, my concerns are clear to see. They're attempting to strengthen their bottom line, which we all understand and appreciate, but in doing so are diluting their product, i.e. the value of the bracelet. Winning a World Series of Poker bracelet is the dream of nearly all poker players, marketing of which has played a key role in attracting customers. The staying power, however, will evaporate if more and more bracelets are currently handi- or continually handed out. In 1970, when the World Series of Poker started, only one bracelet was awarded. Two were awarded in 72, 12 in 1980, uh, and 16 in 1999. This year, I believe there are 68 bracelet events on tap, plus all the events at World Series of Poker Europe and Australia. I understand more players exist today and have no problem with the number of events they hold in Las Vegas, but WSOP bracelets should only be awarded in Las Vegas. I agree with that, too. I I think it's uh the, these are different events. It's uh you're not facing the same competition because a lot of people can't or won't travel to Australia or Europe. Uh, this is the World Series. The World Series of Poker bracelet should be at the Vegas World Series, and that's it. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, people will accuse Mike of oh, he's just an old man, grumpy about you know change. It's not like when he was a kid, but you know. <sighs> Uh, a lot of these things ha- were this way in the poker boom, and I'm kind of a product of the poker boom. I only started watching poker in 2004, actually, and I agree with pretty much everything you said. Like, What if they had a World Series of Poker Antarctica where you can only play if you're on a cruise ship going to Antarctica? Uh, if I win that against the uh, the terrible poker players on the cruise ship, and by the way, cruise ship poker players are the, are the worst. If I were to win that, uh, should I get a World Series of Poker bracelet because I won World Series of Poker Antarctica? <laughs> <laughs> the problem is you're, you're playing against fields that aren't necessarily World Series of Poker fields and getting a bracelet right. for it. And that's that's what's cheapening it. Not the number of bracelets. Eventually we're going to have thousands and thousands of bracelets out there from the year after year after year adding 60, 68 bracelets, 70 bracelets, whatever. Eventually there's going to be so many bracelets out there. But at least it's understood, okay, they've been doing this for so many years. There's so many events. Uh, there's such big fields. Uh, of course, there's going to be a lot of bracelets out there. But uh, you can still be more proud of having one. But when people start having bracelets for tournaments which are hard to get to for most people, for most top players, then the whole thing's different. What's special about a World Series of Poker bracelet is you really have a large percentage of the poker community trekking down to Vegas, no matter where they live, and and taking their shot at it. You, have, you also have your share of amateurs in there and semi-amateurs, but you have a lot of good players there, a lot of top players in these events, and you're competing against them. So when you win, you say, I beat a lot of good players. Either I beat a huge field, which also had a lot of good players, or I beat a small field with a lot of really, really good players. So, uh, like, had I won my bracelet, uh, or my, had I won a bracelet in 2013 at the 5K limit hold'em, that was not a big field. That had a hundred something people, but at least I could say these were mostly very good players at limit hold'em that I would have beaten. So I, right. I, I wouldn't have thought it was a cheap bracelet. And yeah, and also to your point about Antarctica, I mean, <laughs> that could also be the tipping point in Player of the Year, right? I, I'm in cash in Antarctica. We're tied <laughs> after Vegas, and I get it. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Yeah. And the other thing is, a lot of a lot of the responses from uh, you know, Ty Stewart, not specifically, but also just Caesars in general, is they're saying they've always said in response to these arguments, "Well, you're wrong because we've seen the numbers increase." But 
I think a lot of these things, it's it's a causation versus correlation thing, where yeah, they changed all these things, but they changed them during the boom, and, and they do get credit for, you know, increasing it. But like the November nine, well, they say, well, the the, the year we started in the November nine, the ratings went up thirteen percent. Yeah, but poker was still in a growth phase at that point, so I'm not so sure that the November nine actually increased viewership, or if just thirteen percent more people watched poker. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to tell. Very so hard to tell. I think a lot of these things that they justify by saying, well, you can't argue because look how many players we have, look how many. and I'll, But I think a lot of that is not necessarily you know proof in and of itself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, they market the World Series itself well, but the question is, you know, changes like this, is this what's bringing the better ratings? Is this what's bringing more players? Or are they just marketing well in general and there's just more players coming and watching? So... Mike finishes off writing. I'm worried as the number of events continually grow, the value of each bracelet will diminish. My suggestion to the World Series of Poker decision makers is to keep the tradition in mind and not let their attempts to increase the bottom line destroy the bracelet's value. Let poker players aspiring to obtain a coveted bracelet keep their dream alive. So here's what Ty Stewart wrote. I'm not going to read this whole thing. He wrote a book in response. I mean, the guy just wrote uh, a long thing. But uh, he he was trying to be respectful to Mike Sexton. He didn't want to attack him. He starts out by saying, uh, referring to his, well, actually, that's the update. Let me read the first response. He said, Mike, thanks for thinking of us. We know you're always, we're always, know we're always listening. Despite this forum being a party poker blog, we would never question your motivations as to uh, what you want is the best for the industry in the World Series of Poker as the showcase festival of the game you love. So it is out of respect that I have my own Jerry Maguire moment in playing devil's advocate and providing some color on our motivations. So he explains the November 9, and uh, he, he writes a long thing. This is Ty Stewart, the head of the World Series. And, uh, and he's trying to say that it's actually a good thing and that Mike's criticisms are not valid. So he says, I want to point out that, one, we do in fact play, pay out ninth place money in July, Two, we, pay, we put the remaining prize pool in an interest-bearing account to distribute to the players. Three, furnish business class travel and expenses for return trip, etc. While it's not easy on all players, many have spoken of the great opportunity to gain a sponsorship deal in this tough climate, use a heightened profile to their advantage in subsequent tournaments, and experience things through their profession that they never thought possible. Uh, for instance, I believe it was very exciting for Bruno Politano to receive a good luck message from country icon Neymar last year, something that simply couldn't happen without this format. Uh, having been there in 2006 and seven, when a sparse crowd of mostly sleeping, uninvested persons witnessed the final table, I am continually floored by the atmosphere of the modern final table, which replete, which replete with body painters, country flags, and chanting fans, make poker feel very close to the sport. The November 9 has always been about putting players first, albeit more focused on the future players we so desperately need. We don't make more money or share in ad revenue from ESPN. We, in fact, go dark on Penn & Teller and Caesars ESPN shell out more money to rebuild the TV set and infrastructure a second time. It's absolutely fair to criticize, but this is a noble endeavor to give poker and an industry its due. It's BS, a noble endeavor. I, I, I doubt that Caesars is doing this as a noble endeavor because they want to give the industry its due. <laughs> 
come on. Uh, so as far as the rest of what he's saying, that the the crowd's much more into it because it's got four months to build up, and you, they can uh, prepare themselves with with travel plans and, and and wrap themselves in the flag of the country they're cheering on, and people can get their friends down there easier. I think that's an argument for why you don't have it a day later, or two days later, three days later, why you allow like a week in between. But I, I think if you allow a week, uh, I think a lot of these problems go away. You're not going to have to worry much about someone dying in between. Uh, no one will have big travel expenses. They'll be happy to hang around another week in Vegas. Uh, you're, you're not going to have the problem where people aren't prepared to get down there who are relatives and friends of those making the final table. So all the people with their flags and their body paint, they have a week to do so to get, get themselves down there. Uh, I, I think that a lot of that, and also they won't have to incur the expense themselves, uh, Caesars, by rebuilding the set. So I think that would be kind of a good middle ground if they're insisting that they need this. They don't need four months. And as far as the sponsors, uh, again, I think they could secure sponsors within that week. There are poker agents out there who jump on these people and try to find sponsors for them and know that every year, this isn't a surprise that there's a November 9. They know every year there's nine people that make the final table. So if the November 9 became the a little bit later in July 9, those sponsors could easily be found by these agents in the period of time like a week. They don't need four months. Uh, and, and there really is not a lot of publicity for these people. When they first came out with the November 9, it was expected that everyone was going to be so excited and, and, and these players were going to be going around the country and appearing on talk shows and, and becoming major celebrities by the time they would sit down and play in November. Well, it didn't happen. Even the first year of the November 9, this didn't happen. People lost interest very quickly until it started up again. And it's much like, and you, you referred to this before, when you're watching a TV show that's pretty good, and then it goes on hiatus for a few months, and it comes back. Well, if you really, really like the TV show, you keep track on when it's coming back and, and make sure to watch it. But if you kind of liked it, uh, you're going to lose interest and not really going to even notice it comes back. So I think there's probably a lot of people that just lose track of it, except for those, you know, yes, people can watch the whole thing, as you described, from start to finish and have it look like the whole thing is, is kind of one continuous event. But mm-hmm. well, I, I, did did they still do a live portion on what, what was it ESPN two or something? I'm not sure because to me that's the perfect way to do it. You run the live portion on ESPN two, and then three months later you have the whole produced package, and now you're satisfying everyone. Yeah, which yeah. they did in like I can't remember I, because I don't I don't get ESPN two, but I remember I was down in Vegas in the summer of, I don't even know when it was. I'm down there every summer, but 2010 or something, and I said, oh, they're they're showing the World Series live on ESPN2 with a delay, and, you know, they didn't have all the fancy graphics and cutaways, but they were showing it. So I don't understand why you can't show it live on a secondary channel and then have it produced and then yeah, show the full yeah, package I, as I, more of a highlight reel, you know. I, on, I think so, too. I think that's a, that's a good idea. And also there's a lot of people who watch poker that are just casual fans that don't follow it that closely, that don't even necessarily yes. know they're watching a rerun and, and do like seeing the, the slick production and mm-hmm. they don't care so much or even know necessarily that this took place months ago or, or know who won, or even if they do know who won, they kind of want to see it just play out because it's fun to watch. So I, well, well, that's the other thing because they almost seem like they're conflating two different markets here. It, the average person that they're saying the November nine is going to excite people because they're promoting it. How are they going to find out who won? 
if you're not into poker. Like, this is not front-page news. This is not the Super Bowl. Unless you seek out who won the World Series, how are you going to find that out? Yeah. So this is what he wrote about the bracelets. He puts, there's no doubt the modern WSOP poker palooza is a different version than it was pre-boom, but we are guided by the principles of having choices and opportunities for all segments of players and giving them the best experience and prize pool value possible. I think we can agree that the World Series of Poker was once, the prim- was once primarily the stopping, stomping grounds of professional and serious poker players. For this highly coveted original group, we try to service your needs with a higher buy-in option than mixed games. Yet, we want options for the recreational player who does desires to experience the game and the show without having to break the bank. Given the WPT's own actions, I think you're familiar with the size of this market, particularly given the limited scale of online poker today, inhibiting the chance to qualify on the cheap like the good old days. And then, of course, we want mid-stakes tournaments that are consistent with the bankrolls of the majority of players today. Blah, blah, blah. Like, What is he defending here? Mike is not saying, why do you have $1,000 buy-in events? Why do you have $500 buy-in? He didn't say that. So, so why, is, why is Ty <laughs> answering this way? Yeah, it's a straw man argument. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why is he answering this way? They say, Mike is not complaining that there's too many bracelets from world, from Las Vegas or that the buy-ins are too small. He just doesn't like that it's all over the world. So uh, he says, an outfit only focused on bottom line wouldn't put on a mixed game bracelet in Australia, much less two, and yet it's still statistically harder to win a bracelet than any time in the past. Well, yeah, but you're making your uh, his own point there, Ty, by saying that you're putting on events that are not likely to get many players in Australia and probably not very many strong players, and you're putting on two of them and giving a bracelet for it. That's the problem. That's why people don't like it. So, uh, yes, to- and the whole martyrdom thing about you know, oh, they're just doing all this for the love of the game. Like, oh, we have to rebuild the stage. Oh, we're flying people out. Oh, we run events in countries. We don't even make money off that. Like, it's just it's nonsense. Yeah. And them saying, and these are things that are kind of like, like I said, in the narrowest sense might be true. Like they said, well, we don't get extra money if there's extra ratings from ESPN. No, but you sell the show every year and you sell it based on the previous ratings. Yeah. So oh, it's like, come on. And by the way, they, here's his point about the player of the year. Uh, I want to say that it is not simply business interests that guide the player of the year or the one international festival overall. I have actually been very clear that we don't make money on those events at all. The international events are not housed in our casinos and we do not collect the rake. Well, that doesn't mean you're not collecting any money from them. It just means that you're not getting the rake. You, you're getting something from this. You're not just uh, giving them your name for free. I doubt that. We do not use them as an infomercial for online gaming, as we do not even operate in Europe markets outside UK, and with a blend of righteousness and embarrassment, I can admit the majority of international events have operated at a loss. Uh-huh. I, I, well, it sounds like if they are operating at a loss, it's at a loss to the casinos running them. I have a feeling what's happening. I think that the losses occurred because they pay the World Series a lot for licensing and then don't make enough back to win the money. So I think, I think the loss <laughs> is happening of the ones running the event, but, the, but Caesars is making money. Because how can you lose money if you don't run it? Yeah. Like, it's impossible. E- even if they just said, okay, use our name, you'd still be at even. Yeah, it's a free-roll so, for I, them. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's a free-roll, that's right. And they say, okay, you can call it a World Series event, no problem. We're not involved, but you can call it a World Series event. Okay. And then and then it loses money. Like, how do they lose money? <laughs> how? Exactly. Where did the money but, come but, from? 
And then they're on the cross saying, oh, we just do what's best for poker. We don't even care. So, I, I like yeah. the creative wording that uh, we don't make we don't take the rake. Probably true. Uh, they're not housed in our casinos. Probably true. Right. True. Uh, sure. And and they operate at a loss. OK, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what does True that mean? It probably means you're licensing them out and making a lot of licensing money. There you go. Believe me, I'm sure Caesars is not giving away anything for free. That's a, that's a powerful thing. The World Series a charity event. You're telling me they're like, no, come on. <laughs> so I, I won't bother to read the rest of what he had to say, but it's it's, it's more defense and, and trying to say we're doing all this for poker and they're not doing this for poker. I'll give credit to the World Series for somewhat listening to the players and changing things when players are unhappy, even though they brought back one limit hold'em event they took away this year from last year, you know, because of complaints and they they've added some of these lower buy in events and they're they're they even reversed on that ten million dollar guarantee for the main event and flattened the pay structure when a number of players complained. So props to them mm-hmm. for not putting their heads in the sand and saying, We've made our decision, blah, 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 we don't listen to you. Good for them for listening to the players and not just saying it's our way or the highway. But they're not doing this for the good of poker. They're doing this to be profitable. And that's what companies do. But they shouldn't pretend that's not what they're doing. And they should listen to someone like Mike Sexton, who's, I think, I think was approaching them from a very practical standpoint and wasn't just using this to bash them and wasn't just coming up with dumb ideas out of left field, that he was telling them things that a lot of players think. And, yeah. and telling them that they're probably making some mistakes. Even if they're growing, even if the World Series is doing very well, they're still making mistakes with these things, and he thinks that uh, this will harm them long-term. So, anyway, that's that happened, and I don't think anything's going to change here. I want to talk about the Oregon lottery thing. This story really shocked me. And... I've been publicizing it on Poker Fraud Alert. There really is not much talk about this on the web. I don't even know if any other poker forums are talking about it. There are a few articles in Oregon, but this really is not getting very much press, and I think it should. I've been playing a lot of video poker recently to try to re-earn my seven-star status, which hopefully won't be gone when uh, if Caesars crashes down. But I, I've become very knowledgeable about video poker, I have a lot more knowledge about video poker now than I had, say, two, three years ago. A lot more. I've, I've learned a lot about it. All the different variants, what the different pay tables are, uh, what's a good game, what's a bad game, the exact winning strategies. I, I knew a lot of these things somewhat before, but now I know a whole lot about them. So I have an interest now in video poker that I didn't before. Now, to be clear, I, I don't... I'm not a video poker degenerate, but... I do play it to earn my seven-star status. And on Poker Fraud Alert here, on this show, we've talked about a lot of different types of scams and scandals. We've talked about ones that are perpetrated by shady companies like You Be Your Lock, or by individual players like Eric Lindgren, or uh, sometimes it's an organized scam from the start, like Poker by Proxy, or probably uh, Poker Automatics. Even brick-and-mortar casinos will sometimes cheat people. But these are all private entities. I've never seen it before where a government-run entity is cheating in gambling. 
I've never seen where they actually put out something to cheat gamblers. I've had it where their rules are poorly constructed and it allows casinos to cheat gamblers. I've seen it where maybe corrupt officials have allowed gamblers to get cheated, maybe even because they've been bribed by the casinos. But I've never seen it where gamblers are being cheated directly by a government, at least not in the United States. So this is something that is actually happening. It has been verified to have been happening. And it's shocking because it's being perpetrated by the state of Oregon. Oregon has some video poker machines that are operated by the Oregon Lottery. Here's the history on it. In 1984, Oregon voters were convinced to approve a lottery. A lot of lotteries were popping up around that time, including the California lottery. And that lottery was to begin in 1985. At the time, a big selling point was that this was not going to be a stepping stone to casino-style gambling because uh, a lot of people are like, oh, no, 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 we don't want casinos in Oregon. They're like, no, 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 don't worry, it's a lottery. So the people approved it, thinking that the money would be used for good things like schools or whatever. Just seven years later... In 1992, that law was revised, and the first legalized state-run video poker games appeared. So all those people who only voted for it because it wasn't going to bring casino gambling to Oregon got tricked because uh, they changed the law seven years later, and video poker popped up, owned by the state. 23 years later, now they're still running. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with the expected odds of video poker, here's how it is. A good video poker machine is referred to as a full pay machine. Now, it doesn't mean that it pays you 100% of the money you put in. It means that it will return something close to that. A full pay video poker machine, by today's standards, will return 99% or more of money wagered back to a, p- a player who plays perfectly. Now, it won't always happen that way. Sometimes the player will win. Sometimes the player will break even. Sometimes the player will lose a lot. Sometimes they'll you know, only end up with... a. 65% of the money they wager they ran really bad and other times they'll win a whole lot of course there's a lot of variance but overall if everybody played the machine perfectly which they don't but if they did and you had millions and millions of hands dealt you would see the theoretical return being what it actually paid or very very close to that so that, that's what the theoretical return is of those machines for example a full paid jacks or better machine which is the one of the oldest and simplest forms of video poker that pays one for jacks or better, two for f- two pair, three for three of a kind, four for a straight, six for a flush, nine for a full house, 25 for four of a kind, 50 for a straight flush, and 800 for a royal flush. That's 99.54% return to the player if they play perfect strategy, which is pretty good as far as a uh, gambling game at a casino is concerned. Now, perfect strategy is not as difficult as you may think. It's not like being a perfect poker player. Perfect video poker strategy is computed mathematically, and once you know it, you know it. There's no adjustments to be made. You just have to memorize it. You just have to understand it and memorize it. Or if you don't want to memorize it, you can even print it out. There's plenty of websites listing it. You can take the printout with you. Uh, It's not even a very long printout, and consult that whenever a non-obvious situation comes up. Now, what is a non-full pay machine? What type of pay do you get there? Well, a bad machine, by today's standards, would be one that returns less than 97% of the money wagered back to the player. 
utilizing perfect strategy. So like a machine returning 94, 95, 96% would be considered an especially bad machine. Which I think would confuse some people because you hear the number like 96%, you go, oh wow, that's a lot, 96%, that's a lot. But it's not. That actually means you're going to lose 4% of every dollar wagered in there and that adds up very quickly when you play hands. If you play a dollar per hand, and I'm saying, let's forget a dollar per hand. Let's say you're playing $5 per hand. You're playing a dollar per credit and you're $5 max per hand for max credits. That means every single time you play at a 96% machine, every single hand, you're expected to lose 20 cents, which doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, you play 100 hands, you're expected to lose $20. You play 1,000 hands, you're expected to lose uh, $200. And you can play that very fast. So so it, uh, it, it it's really bad for playing that low of limits. So what type of return is coming from the video poker machines in Oregon? Are they 99%? Are they 97%? Maybe they're a bad machine of 94%. No. The return for the video poker machines being offered by the Oregon Lottery is 90%. Horrible. Horrible. But that's not the scandal here. Yes, they have a terrible pay table, and that's the way it's determined what the return is, is that they reduce things on the pay table. So, for example, in Jacks are Bitter, when they change the 9 for the full house and 6 for the flush to 8 and 5, that reduces the pay table substantially. They reduce it to 6 and 5, that's even lower. So, I don't know the exact pay table numbers on these Oregon Lottery Jacks are Bitter machines, but I know it was 90% return, which is awful. Worse than any machine you'll find in any regular casino, by far. To show you how bad it is, the difference between a Jacks are Better full pay machine that you find in Vegas and other casinos and the Oregon Lottery machine is a factor of 20. You will lose 20 times as fast on average at these Oregon machines. 20 times as fast! But that's not the scandal. It has a bad t- pay table, but it's not a scandal because at least they are required by state law to put on the machines that they have a 90% return. And while... They don't advise the players this is significantly worse than Vegas and everywhere else. Fine, at least they're telling the players what return they can expect. But here's the scandal. At these video poker machines, you know, like all video poker machines, there's a decision to be made. So let's say you get dealt two aces, but also among the five cards you get dealt, there's an ace of hearts, queen of hearts, and ten of hearts. So what do you do? What do you hold? Do you hold the ace, queen, and ten of hearts, go for the royal? Or do you hold the two aces? If you don't know video poker very well, you probably don't know the answer to that because that's uh, one of those tough hands you have to look up. Well, the correct answer, the perfect strategy, is actually to hold the aces and, and not worry about the royal flush. Believe it or not, that's the mathematically correct play to make. So there is a decision there. Now, that's a fairly close decision, but uh, there are some decisions that are not so close where a novice player still doesn't know what to do. For example, if you see 6, 7, 9, 10, 2, with no flush, draw possible, just 6, 7, 9, 10, 2, all different suits, do you hold the 6, 7, 9, 10 and go for the straight, or do you throw it all away? The correct answer is throw it all away, and that's a correct answer by a long shot. That's a, 
that's not even close. But a lot of novice players would hold the 6, 7, 9, 10 and try to go for that 8. So in order to take the strategy element out and make it simpler for players at that machine, which already returns very badly, the Oregon lottery did something which looks like it's pretty nice. And that is they auto-hold the cards for the players. So instead of the player having to know the right move to make, the machine makes the move for you and gives you a chance to undo it if you still don't like it. But they put up what should be held, and then if you agree with it, you just hit the button. And if you want to change it for whatever reason, you can. Well, what's wrong with that? It sounds like they're advising players of strategy and making it easier on them and preventing them from making stupid mistakes. That would lower their return. You think that's the least they can do when they're providing such a poor game in the first place of 90% return. So where's the scandal? The scandal is that the auto-hold, the cards they tell you to hold and automatically hold for you, are incorrect. Yes, they are holding the wrong cards for you on purpose. They are telling you to make the wrong decision. And you have to be knowledgeable enough of the game to correct it and make the right decision. That's like hiring a video poker coach to stand behind you, claim he's an expert in the game, and then have him advise you incorrectly. That's like the state hiring that guy to stand behind you while you're playing. Go, no, 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 no. You want to do this instead. And in reality, he's leading you astray. He's leading you to do the wrong things that cost you more money. That is really, really, really dirty. Because when people see these auto holds, they assume the machine knows better than they do. If you're a novice video poker player and you don't know all the right moves and you see the machine holding things for you, who do you think knows better? You, the player who doesn't know much, or the machine itself? Obviously, you think the machine. It has been giving this erroneous advice since 1992. Now, is it giving erroneous advice in a way that maybe would increase the player's chances to win the big jackpots? But not necessarily the perfect strategy advice. Like that example I gave you, the two aces and the ace, queen, ten of hearts. You could say, okay, even though the ace is the better mathematical strategy, maybe a recreational player would rather hold the ace, queen, ten of hearts because it gives them a shot at a royal flush, which is the big payout. The aces just give you a guaranteed small payout. But that's not what it's doing. It's actually offering people terrible advice that has no upside to it, to where there's no potential way you could do better. Let me give you an example that was found by a guy playing there. A guy playing the machine, his name was uh, Justin Kersey, he was dealt 2, 4, 5, 6, 7 with four different suits. So there's no flush issue there. It's just, uh, it sounds like a straight, right? 2, 4, 5, 6, 7. So, most of you would hold 4, 5, 6, 7 and throw away the 2. This way you're drawing to a straight to either a 3 or an 8. And that's the correct play and it's a pretty obvious play. But the machine advised that he holds the 2, 4, 5, and 6 meaning only the 3 could make the straight. So there's no possible upside to this. There's nothing you could ever gain from doing this. All you're doing is taking away half the chance that you'll hit the straight. Now you only have 3's to draw to instead of 3's and 8's. You have half the chance of hitting that straight if you take its advice with no upside. The machine suggested that to him. The machine didn't just suggest it, it auto-held the cards to where if he didn't want that, he would have to undo those auto-holds. And this has been going on for 23 years. 
And at the very least, the Oregon lottery has been made aware of it since 2009. And they have chosen not to play it, not to change it. So there's currently a lawsuit that Justin Kersey has filed against them, a class action lawsuit against the Oregon lottery, which is still ongoing. Through Kersey's process of discovery, he found that these machines were paying out only 87%, not 90%, and that the auto hold was mostly to blame. It turned out that the auto hold was responsible for as much of a 5% difference in return on some machines, that is, the players who were using the auto hold, which is the people who didn't really know what they were doing, they had a return of 5% worse than those playing using their own strategy and undoing the auto hold. There's no reason for this. The machine can very easily figure out what the right move is to make. And still, even with the perfect play, still 10% of every dollar wagered there will be kept by the Oregon Lottery. Because it still has a terrible theoretical return. Even with perfect play, that's still an awful machine. So it's not like they're giving away the house there. Yeah, that's that's what's so weird. I mean, why even risk sparking this indignation at Something where you're basically stealing money anyway. It's yeah, like... and and then so just in case you guys think that this Kersey guy is off base or maybe I'm off base and maybe this is not what it appears to be. If you go to the Oregon Lottery website and you go to the section about what's known as uh, vi- games and game info and look for uh, you click on that at the top, then you click on uh, video lottery and then payout percentage. It says the following. This is on their own website. A payout percentage range for video poker games can be found on the individual game pages by clicking the games button and looking up the particular game. In video poker games, player choices affect the actual payout percentage of the game. All Oregon Lottery video poker games have an auto-hold feature in which the game recommends a card-holding strategy during each individual game. Auto-hold strategies vary by game based upon the particular features of a game and do not necessarily result in theoretical payouts. Can you believe that? (laughs) Players have the option of overriding the game selections at any time. Once again, auto-hold strategies vary by game based on the particular features of the game and do not necessarily result in theoretical payouts. (laughs) So that's their disclaimer. That's telling you... Uh, the auto-hold strategies are, are going to lead you astray, and you're not going to make what we're telling you you're going to make, not make, but you're not going to win back with uh, of your wagered money what you're supposed to. You're not going to reach the, quote, theoretical return. You're going to lose a little extra because we're cheating you. But we're disclosing now we're cheating you, so when we're not saying it directly, we're just putting it in a very cryptic way and hoping you don't understand that we're telling you that our auto-hold is going to cheat you. Also, I love their cop-out of like, well, you can just... Tell it not to do that. Yeah. That's like saying, okay, at this casino, the dealer automatically hits you on 18 in blackjack unless you tell him not to. <laughs> that it's is like, like that. Yeah, that, I, that's terrible. Why They're making so much off these. Why are they leading these players to make incorrect decisions? And the worst part is that the players are not adequately warned. There should be a very clear warning. Not this crap about theoretical percentages, blah, blah, blah. It should say the following. The auto hold is not providing you with correct strategy. If you want to play correct right. strategy for this game, make sure to change. Uh, make sure to observe the auto hold and see if you agree with it. Something like that. 
Do not. Otherwise, it implies that that's the right thing to do. Everybody who'd play this would think it's holding the right thing. It's a very, very dirty thing. It's a scam. And this is on a machine where they're making so much more than they should anyway. Obviously, well, they- I'm, I would almost think that this hurts them because aren't people just going to lose so fast? I mean, they're on a crappy machine playing incorrect strategy. Uh, isn't it better to just slowly milk them and they feel like, oh, well, I'm getting some value for my money? I, yeah. I would almost think this is a worse idea. It might be because casinos, why are casinos offering 99% games? Why are even the bad games exactly. at casino 94%? It's because casinos want to give you, they've done a lot of studies on this, and sometimes they, they change their tune later. Sometimes they discover that the gambling public's not as astute as they think, but the general determination that casinos has made is that they can't completely, completely rape you on all games because then it won't be fun. Then you're going to feel like you never win and you're not going to want to come back. You want to have the feeling like you can win and have one and have a good chance to win. Even if you know the house has the advantage, you'll have the impression it's a small advantage and all you need is a little bit of luck to overcome that advantage. And that's why people come play at casinos because they think that the house edge is small and that uh, just a little bit of luck will push them over the top and you can walk away with more money. If you just come there and lose, 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 you're going to say, this is no fun. I, I don't want to come back here. So, so yeah, this is weird why they're taking a machine that's going to beat everyone such a high percentage of the time anyway and making it even worse and in a very sleazy and what should be illegal manner. Now, the legality, what is that? Well, is this lawsuit going to work? Because this guy has all the data. He can prove everything he's saying. But will this class action lawsuit be successful? The legal analysts who have studied this are saying it probably won't be. Because they have to prove that the Oregon lottery basically maliciously intended to fool people. And that they either intentionally put these auto holds incorrectly to trick people or that uh, they are still providing them with the intent to trick people. But if it's just a matter of kind of negligence, like like it was just done this way somehow, and rather than fixing it, they just warn them in a, in a cryptic way, believe it or not, that doesn't count by Oregon law that they have uh, committed any kind of uh, violation of the law here. It, it, it definitely should be a violation of the law, but it isn't. There should never be a... Everything should be very clearly disclosed to the players about, about anything like this. There should never be... First of all, this shouldn't be allowed where a machine auto-holds something that's incorrect strategy. But if it is allowed, then it needs to be very, very, very clearly displayed to the player that they are going to be playing wrong strategy with auto-hold. So... That's an unbelievable story. Do not ever play video poker in Oregon. The pay tables are awful, and they're cheating you with the auto hold. So uh, really disgusting that a state government is doing this, and they've been aware of it for six years and aren't changing it. They've been, they've been, they might have been aware of it for 23 years. These machines were made by a third-party company. This was, this was not uh, the Oregon Lottery didn't design these machines, but it, I don't know whose idea this was to put the, the incorrect auto hold maybe it wasn't even intentional maybe this is one of these things like they realized the mistake and instead of fixing it they said ah we'll just put a disclaimer and get even more money but it's dirty whatever it is they must know that this is dirty 775 fraud 55 you want to call in 775-372-8355 uh, I saw there was someone calling in from the uh, 347 area code I wasn't able to take their call but if you want to call in now I can take your call sorry about uh, being 
unavailable to take it when that was happening. I said, wow, a lot of other calls came in too. So I missed a lot of calls today. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I saw some of them at the time. Others I, I don't even remember getting. So one from the 857 called, some of the 402 called, some of the 234 I, I guess I can feel good that people are trying to call, but uh, I guess I can feel bad that I forgot to take them or didn't notice them. Maybe the player guy's given the show number now. Okay, so let's uh, move to the next topic, which is your topic. Mm-hmm. The jackpot rake that was for an unwinnable jackpot that you personally paid. So go ahead and tell us what happened. Well, I went down to the local casino to play a little one-two, which is actually the Hard Rock Vancouver. And first of all, (laughs) it's called the Hard Rock Vancouver, even though it's not actually in Vancouver. It's it's like, how can I put this? It'd be like if there was a place called Hard Rock LA and it was in uh, San Bernardino. It's like, yeah, it's technically the greater Los Angeles area, but anyway. Oh, hey, what about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? <laughs> well, exactly. exactly. And LA even has a baseball team. Why do they need a Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? It's so stupid. And like, there's like just about zero LA people who are fans of the Angels anyway. It's like totally an Orange County team. It's so stupid. Oh, anyway, go on. I didn't want to interrupt. Right. So anyway, I, I was playing for about 20 minutes, and I noticed that the dealer... Uh, was putting $2 in the uh, jackpot drop. Now, this casino, along with, I think, three others in the area, actually have a combined bad beat that they call the super bad beat. Uh, So they take $1, and it's all combined. And I already have a problem with this because, first of all, it's very hard to win, which I understand why they do that from a marketing perspective, because they can say, oh, look, it's like 600000 which it gets to sometimes. But they charge, I think, a 7% handling fee that they take out of that bad beat money. So I already don't like that. It's a $5 rig, so it's 5 plus 1. And they they, you know, they pay you back with your own money minus 7% for the bad beat. And I saw them putting 2 down, and I thought, oh, did he just forget last hand? I wasn't paying attention. And then he did it on the next hand, and I said, oh, it's, it looks like you're taking too much for the, uh, the jackpot drop. And he said, oh, no, no. Um, the second dollar is for the uh, the high hand jackpots, and I said, "Oh, I, I didn't know you had that here." And he said, "Yeah, um, it's new, so you know, one dollars for the old bad beat, one dollars for the high, high hand." And I said, "Oh, okay. Well, can you tell me how it works? Is it every hour? Is it every week?" Whether, and he said, "No, nah, I, I actually don't know how it works." And I said, "Oh, okay. Well, is is there somebody who does?" And he said, "No, because uh, it hasn't started yet." And I said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Is it like it's only doing certain hours or no, actually it hasn't even started yet. We're going to start this. Uh, I, I don't even know, you know, a week or two, but uh, we're taking all this money now so we can build it up so we can give the money away later. <laughs> and I said, okay, so we're all paying for something that, not only can we not win, but you don't even know when it's starting. And he said, ah, oh, it's just a dollar. And so eventually yeah, I talked a to a, one of the managers <laughs> and she said, and she actually did know the details to be fair. And she said, well, it's starting Monday. It's it's only going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 2 p.m. to midnight. Oh, okay. And that is no and big deal. It, it starts in, I think she's at a week or a week and a half. And uh, 
and it's going to be, I think she said 400 an hour, which I guess is why they need to take all this money. But so basically I thought to myself, okay, so I played for 15 minutes. I took my chips. I went to the other casino that's 10 minutes away. And I thought, okay, I'll come back next Monday between two and 12. <laughs> like, it's just so weird to have to pay money for a jackpot promotion that isn't there. And I just, it, it was weird too that nobody else seemed to care because I brought this up at the table. I was like, you guys realize we're all paying money to something that, you know, we can't win. And at the time, we don't even know when it starts. And I said, nah, it's just a dollar a pot. Who cares? So, you know, I guess if that works for them and that's how they generate players, and I get what they're doing. They're doing it, you know, during the low times, as she explained, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 2 p.m. to midnight. And I've seen a variety of this in Vegas, but it's usually not this bad. It's usually like, oh, we have the high hand all day, but aces cracked is only 10 to 2 or whatever. Yeah, that's really bad. They should never collect anything for a jackpot that you can't win. That just should not be allowed. But there, this thread you started on Poker Fraud Alert about this actually generated some discussion of so many other shady things that are done by poker rooms with their promotional yes. jackpot funds. And it's just... It's so sick, these stories. So this is what PLOL said. At Horseshoe Hammond, they take a bunch of money out to use toward tournaments. In Tampa, they used to always cover overlays with bad beat jackpot funds. <laughs> in, in Palm Beach, during the World Series of Poker, they would actually suspend all bad beat jackpots and promotions, but they would still rake 5 plus 2. If there's a promo fund, they're pretty much going to find a way to screw you with it. So that, that's really... I mean, can you imagine that they hold a tournament, not enough people show up to meet the guarantee, and then they just oh, we'll take it out of the promo fund. That's... That's just disgusting, and and uh, the problem is they're not strong enough laws about how they can use these promo funds. Uh, right. The, Although I do know in Nevada specifically, you do have to pay a hundred percent back in some capacity. Now they may do these shady things to get around that, such as funding overlays. But at least that kind of is going back to the players. Whereas you know here they take a seven percent handling fee for the bad beat drop, which you know can get up to six hundred thousand. And they're taking 7% every time. Yeah, how much and handling course, do they have to do? The, the other things handling? described about seats at fights, and I mean, that's even worse. Yeah, yeah, so this, is, there. so this is another, here's another story. We'll get to the fights one in a second. Uh, also from PLL. My favorite is when they take money out of the Babby jackpot to give away seats at some tournament uh, as a promo. I've always wondered about the legality of doing that, uh, but so, the room seemed to have no problem doing it. Basically, they'll give away 50 seats to a $365 tournament, so they've got to take out $18,250 from the bad beat jackpot. But since there's a $65 rake, they also now they get back 3250 from what they otherwise would have had to give away. So, so they, give away, they give away seats. They, they, uh, they take that money out of the bad beat jackpot and then keep the rake that was paid on those seats that they took. <sighs> Yeah, for- when I go to Vegas, I specifically only play in rooms that have no jackpot drop. Um, but, you know, in, in a lot of places, like, you know, maybe uh, that's Hammond, right? The horseshoe. Yeah, yeah. And around here, there are no places with no jackpot drop. So it's almost like you have to find out who's kind of screwing you the least. Yeah, here's one. Uh, I worked in management. This is from F and Donkey. I worked in management for a few different poker rooms. What I've seen them do should be criminal. The jackpot dollar everyone refers to would always go to a fund called the Player Promotion Fund. All the casinos I worked for did the same thing as they were ran by the same casino management company. The fund was pretty generalized. We would put a set amount per day to the bad beat, 
use the fund to cover overlays, etc. Where it would get criminal is when these shady-ass Indians decided they wanted to get into the concert and fight business. They would put on an MMA fight, stick some plastic folding tables and chairs next to the ring, and sell VIP tickets for 900 each. Now, no one is going to buy a $900 ticket to a low-level MMA fight, so what they would do is charge the player promotion fund for a set amount of tickets and force us to give them out. So they would just figure out how much the event would cost to put on and rob the player promotion fund of that money by inflating ticket prices and give the seats away. I doubt 50% of the tickets we handed out got used, but they were, quote, sold. So, I, this, Right, that and then cool. they were, quote, valued at 900 a seat, yeah. right? So yeah, is... I mean, what they should do if they really want to steal all the money, they should just give away one super seat uh, that's really close to the ring and claim that, it, that it's worth... One million dollars. Why not? This is... <laughs> They should not. Yeah. They should not have access to any of the jackpot fund for anything but the bad beat jackpot, and it should never be dropped unless the jackpot is always available to be won. Here's another story. Speaking of always available to be won, but where it is, but it really isn't. Seriously, Sirius said, "Isle of Capri and Lake Charles." used to have the most horrendous high-hand promo I've ever seen. There would be a poster on the wall showing some random hand, like uh, King of Diamonds, Jack of Clubs, Jack of Spades, Ten of Diamonds, Seven of Hearts. If you make that exact hand, you win the jackpot. A lot of people (laughs) didn't seem to realize how difficult it is to make an exact hand like that. In fact, some low-ranking hands are over 100 times harder to make than a royal flush of a specific suit. Still, people would limp garbage hands as they matched cards in the promo. Good for generating action, I'd guess. Taking extra rate for a prize that is ten million to one is a straight up scam, in my opinion. They'll most likely never have to pay out. Now, again, some poker yeah. rooms are forced in some states like Nevada. They're, they're before they close, they're forced to pay out the the jackpot in some way and have to keep lowering requirements till they do. But and by the way, if you see a room closing, that's you should, a good thing to watch for and show up for when they're doing that because they'll they'll sometimes lower it to as low as like three of a kind will get it. But right. Uh, but but this is the opposite, where they are taking this extra rake, especially in states where they don't have to pay it out, for something that's almost never going to happen. Well, it, it's it's almost as bad here. Like I said, they have that super beat. That's three, I, I think, three or four casinos combined. And you need quad eights or better beaten and withholding a pair. And so that's why it gets up to, like I said, over half a million dollars. And then they hold, they take 7.5% as a handling fee. But, you know, I understand why they do these promos in theory because they say, well, it, it brings people in. But I, I don't even know if that's necessarily true because if you go to Vegas, all the biggest rooms actually have no jackpots, right? I mean, there's no jackpot at the Venetian, the Bellagio, the Aria, and those are actually the busiest rooms. I guess smaller rooms will argue we need that to compete with them. But then, like you say, there's so many problems from mismanagement to – you know, straight out uh, <laughs> NFL pools and yeah, managers stealing it. Like, it just seems like a mess. It is a there mess. There needs to be none or tighter restrictions. Much tighter. They, these gaming commissions, they must just not have passed laws correctly about this, and they, they need to really, really tighten the laws here and make it to where there are very, very specific things which can and can't be done. It's so funny because... You'll have these states that have very specific laws about like what type of poker they can spread and how the, the gaming commission has to approve a, a, a new variant of poker. But yet they can do all these super shady things with a promo fund and there's nothing governing yeah. that. They, they even some – I know in Washington state, at least in part, 
uh, certain counties, there's limits on the biggest bet. Yeah, yeah, that too. So it's like a no-limit game, but basically with a forced cap. Yeah. Because there's some county law you can never bet more than 500 uh, an action or whatever it is. Also, I don't know if uh, – <laughs> did you ever f- – I don't know if you mentioned this on the radio, Todd, but the whole TI, the poker room. I, I know you mentioned it, but the way it came out that the guy got caught was, you know, that he made those uh, false picks. Yes, yes. And actually what happened was <laughs> he finally got caught because this was an NFL pick promo. And I guess there was a prize for first and second and a loser prize. And eventually how he got caught was one week he won all three with only three entries. <laughs> so I don't know. He must have really needed the money. But, you know, and that's that's another way that, again, like who's monitoring all these things is seemingly nobody. Yeah, what, what a mess. So that, that's – I get mad. In fact, I had a situation in commerce, not about jackpot. But they, they, they have a big jackpot rake there too, and the rake just got an awful commerce. But – I was in a 40-80 game one time, and they were raking the wrong thing for the number of players at the table. And mm-hmm. and, and someone actually pointed it out. I didn't even catch it. I was kind of just zoning out because I'd been there so long. Uh, I, I was new to that table, so they hadn't been hitting me for so long. But that, I, I'd been still paying for, like, the last half hour or something the wrong rake, as had everybody. Someone pointed it out, and I look, oh, crap, you're right. Well, the dealer argues at first. And wants to keep doing the game and keep dropping the wrong rake. And I said, ah, 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 absolutely not. So uh, finally we showed her on the table. It said specifically how many players are in and how much rake you take. And she, you know, she finally was made to understand. But we, we called the floor and we said, what about retroactively? You guys have been taking more rake for the last half hour. You shouldn't have been. So right. first they're saying, well, we don't have proof of that. Well, check the cameras. Uh, we can't really do that. Well, I said, look, it's been at least half an hour. Because I, I came here half an hour ago, and it's been going on since I sat down. He said, well, we have really no way to refund that. I go, of course you can. Figure out how many hands were dealt approximately. And and uh, and you know, forget calculating who paid the rake from the POTS one. Just uh, take an average of it and give it to everybody at the table. Well, what if we changed players in the time? Like They're trying to find every reason not to fix it because the guy they don't want to get anybody in trouble there. They have to get this money from somewhere. And they don't, they're too lazy to figure it out. And I, So I said, okay, how, let's do something simpler. How about uh, no rake for the next 10 minutes? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. And so uh, we're sitting here arguing, arguing, arguing. They just would not back down and finally came up with some stu- really stupid uh, thing, like like each person at the table gets $2 or something weak <laughs> like that. And the, I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I was tired. Of, I was almost about to... You know, demand the number of, of a gaming commission of whoever's in charge of commerce and, and call them about this because they, they can't just rake the wrong thing and say, oh, well, you just caught it half an hour ago. We're not going to make it right. We, we just get to keep the money. And I, I'm proposing very reasonable solutions like just don't rake for 10 minutes and, it'll, you know, maybe it'll break even approximately. Nope. Also, also, they probably didn't rake, you know, that whole time you guys were complaining about it. They're like, wow, we've already lost money while you guys have been complaining about us cheating you. So uh, it's even as far as we see it. So <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, so so many shady things go on with the, the rake at these things. You know, by the way, I, it was uh, – I've expressed before how I don't like Liz Liu, who doesn't really play much poker anymore, but mm-hmm. – uh, the genesis to me not liking her, I mean, the reason she started to really hate me was because I called her out when she pretended to win a tournament where she actually bought the title, and she was yes, mad I exposed I, that. I remember that. But, yeah. but the reason I, I was really gung-ho about calling her out was the way she had treated me once at Commerce when she was relatively new to the scene, where um, 
Commerce, there was some kind of issue between me and, and Commerce w- at that table with the rake, and she was at the table. Uh, it was something having to do with whether I was considered a new player or not. I don't remember the details, but it was something where it wasn't clear-cut either way. It wasn't clear-cut in my favor. It wasn't clear-cut I was wrong. It was it was honestly kind of like a very difficult to determine one of who was right, who was wrong. But I, 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 I felt I was right, but I wasn't so right that anyone could see it, but it wasn't me being crazy either. So uh, the thing is, I... I called over the floor, uh, and and I mentioned it to him, and and right away Liz Liu just snaps at me. Um, it's only twenty six dollars. Just just pay it already. Just like she she starts going off at me. Why are you wasting all of our time? And she and it wasn't like I held the game up for ten ten minutes. I I called them over. The game was actually allowed to proceed if it wanted to. I wasn't having them freeze the game. And and I was just explaining what happened, but she thought I was uh, um, inappropriate to complain about twenty six dollars of rake that I was charged that I shouldn't have had to pay. I think it was twenty six dollars, something like twenty six. She was really really nasty to me about it, and she had no reason to be involved. And I had not said a word to her, and I never had any kind of altercation with her in the past. But 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 she was really making some nasty statements about. Uh, uh, get over it, uh, you know, w- what kind of loser cares about $26, like dumb shit like that. She she just really, yes. really went off on me. I think and I think the reason she did it is she, she saw herself as like the hot chick at the table who could get away with it. And and I, I never even found her that right. attractive, by the way, but she saw, saw herself as really attractive, and she, she thought she could she could talk down to me like this and that other people at the table would back her and just a complete bitch to me about it for no reason. And again, I wasn't holding up the game. I wasn't uh, loud or, or disruptive about it. There was no reason to do that other than to be a bitch just to tell me, just to show me up that I, I'm complaining about a matter of $26. And people do this in commerce all the time. They're always complaining about the rake in commerce. Always. <laughs> so I don't know why, why she picked on me here, but after that, I said, wow, what a bitch. So I, I didn't go off on her there, especially because it seemed like the other people at the table were kissing her ass because she was this new girl that some of them are attracted to. But uh, but when I saw what she did at the tournament I was at where she bought a title, I said, up, now... <laughs> Now she's going to be sorry she tried to uh, do this. I probably would have reported it anyway because it was so weird, but uh, uh, I especially wanted to report it after what she had done there, really for no yeah. reason. Well, and I, you know, I've actually, you know, I don't know if that was before or after, but I heard a few stories like that about her, specifically in L.A., kind of uh, people, you know, didn't really want to play with her that much for those kind of reasons. She was but. very, very arrogant. She was extremely arrogant, and... Uh, I, I hate girls in poker that are extremely arrogant, especially arrogant because they think they're hot and they think guys want them and they can mistreat everyone at the table because they're always going to have a stable of ass kissers there to defend them. Well, the sad part is it's usually true. <laughs> I, know. So. I know, but that, that, that's what makes me hate them even more, that they, they do get the ass kissers to back them and it's hard to argue with them without making everyone else right. hate you. So, yep. But, but uh, and I, I've always taken the attitude at the poker table, whether I'm I'm single or with someone, that no matter how hot the girl is, if she's going to act like a bitch or try to do something unfair or use the fact that she's a hot chick to try to take advantage of things, I, I'm never going to take it. I'm never going to give them any allowances at the table that I wouldn't give to a guy. I treat everyone equally. So, You're a feminist, Drew. Hmm. That's a good point. The feminist should be proud of me. All right, exactly. so let's see what the next topic is here. Let's see what the next topic is here. Oh, bad rulings. There's a bad ruling at the Sydney tournament there. The ANZPT, 
Sydney. What happened was one player had pocket kings. This is a pretty simple story, by the way. One player had pocket kings. One player had pocket fives. The board was uh, the flop was three hearts, and the turn was a queen of diamonds. The guy with the kings had had a king of hearts, so he had the over pair with a heart. The guy with the fives had a set, but obviously no heart. So um, basically, a non-board pairing flush card on the river would win it for the kings, and anything else would win it for the fives. Or I guess a king would win it for the kings, too. So the fives were ahead. They got all their money in on the turn. The dealer tried to put out the river, but while trying to do so, the card that was supposed to be the river card fell into the muck, face down. So a supervisor was called over, and the supervisor was confused. They made a phone call. They talked about it. A few minutes later, the decision was that the entire hand would be voided? What? Really? Yeah. Instead of putting that card back in, reshuffling and dealing out a new river, which is standard, and keep in mind the, the card fell face down into the muck. So they can't even the player can't even have the excuse of thinking they won and then uh, having it taken away. They nobody could see who if they won or lost yet. So just right. take that card back, put it in, reshuffle, and deal out the river. It's still a random card. It may not be the exact same card, but it's still a random card, and no one got to see what it was. Very easy solution. But instead, they voided the whole hand. And anyone who had bet in that pot got their chips back. So the guy with the fives was furious. And uh, too bad it stood. What an awful... This is after a lot of talking about it for a few minutes. Among multiple employees there. How they came up with that... I've never seen that. (laughs) That's the worst. That may be one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. It may be the worst decision I've ever seen. It has this simple solution that's very standard. There's been so many times I've seen playing poker, cash and tournament, where there's some sort of error in dealing, and and they just uh, reshuffle and and deal it out. Yeah. I mean, typically, like if it's sitting right on top and the dealer just dropped it, they they call the floor and say, oh, hey, I just dropped it. But, you know, it's retrievable. We'll just pick it up and turn it over. Or if they can't distinguish which one it is, then, yeah, they'd be put Yeah, or if there's any debate about whether it's the right card, then reshuffle. But to just void the whole hand is crazy. So the person with the fives really really took it up the ass on that one. And, And this also almost ties into the Mike Sexton discussion because... You know, are you even getting the same quality? This was this was where exactly? Uh, this was in Australia, right? So, are you even getting the same quality of you know rules enforcement and everything when you're mortgaging out the World Series brand to wherever yeah. you're going to play it this year? Right, right. This is the uh, so. Australia New Zealand Poker Tour ANZPT. So, okay, I, I had a terrible ruling once, and it involved Alan Kessler. He was actually on my side, but it wasn't against him. I was sitting right next oh, to him yeah. at at the win. You know, if Kessler was on my side, I was right. But uh, <laughs> uh, I was sitting next to Kessler at the win, early 2007, playing a no limit. I think a thousand dollar. It was thousand dollar plus sixty buy in, and I had pocket tens. And uh, 
I raised, and I, I know I just got a call, I think, from the person on the button. I think I raised early position. I think I got maybe two calls, either one or two calls. Doesn't matter. Flop came king, rag, rag. I made a continuation bet, but I was getting on the shorter stack side to where uh, if this continuation bet got raised, there was no question that I had to let it go with that king there. Because there was, there was I basically, I, I had enough chips to continue and not be crippled, but uh, on the other hand, um, there was no way I could call a raise and hope to spike the, uh, the 10 on the turn. Right. So I, I made a continuation bet for 700. And uh, the person who, uh, who had the, who on the button, when he threw out his chips, he threw out, I believe it was uh, 1,000. So that's not that's a call. He didn't throw out a thousand dollar chip. He threw out a number of chips, which added up to a thousand. So the dealer says raise, and I, it's all the way across the table. So I go, how much is that? And then she says a thousand. Before I could say anything, Kessler says, ah, 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 that's not a raise. That's a call. That's not more than half the bet. Mm-hmm. Not more than one and a half times the bet. Well, it turned out the reason it happened was that the player uh, accidentally put out the wrong color chip because. Uh, the, the player, I guess the 500 and the 100 looked alike. And uh, and he put out the wrong color chip. He meant to raise me to 1,700 and instead only raised me to 1,000. So he, he between the, with those two, with these chips looking alike, he actually threw out 1,000. And it is true they were poorly designed color-wise to where they, they weren't identical, but they did have a similar look to where if he didn't look carefully, that mistake could occur. So the correct ruling there, the very standard ruling there, is too bad. There's many times in a tournament you mean to do something but do the wrong thing. Right. That's what string raises are all about. That's what any time you mm-hmm. you can't look into someone's brain and see what they actually meant to do. It's it's what right. they actually do. So same with the one chip rule. You can't. You know, that's that's the rule because it's you can't say, oh, I threw one chip in because I meant to raise the whole yeah. chip. Like, that's yeah. Just the way. And also, you can use this to angle shoot or cheat. Otherwise, so so the, I don't yes. believe this guy was angle shooting or cheating. But at the same time, this guy needs to look at his chips before he throws them out there. And once he throws out a thousand, it's just a call. It's unfortunate mm-hmm. for him. I know he was meaning to raise me, but but he didn't raise me. And if the reverse happened and I had that with him, it would be a call for me. And in fact, I have made mistakes before where I mean to raise and I end up calling. Yeah, and, and it's we tough are. luck. It's tough luck. I've never gotten mad. I've been mad at myself. I've never been mad at them for forcing me to call when I mean to raise. That's just the way it is. Uh, now, in this guy's defense, he wasn't really saying much. This guy wasn't being a jerk about it. But they called over a floor person, and she said, well, it's very clear here that he meant to raise. So I'm going to rule that this is a min raise. I said, what do you mean he meant to? How do you know what he meant? You can't, you, you can't say that. The bottom line is he didn't raise, and once he put out his chips and it wasn't enough for a raise, then it's a call. And, or Sorry, I didn't say this. I was thinking this, but I didn't want to give away yet that my hand was weak. So, so I, yes. Kessler, was, Kessler was fortunately there. He was doing all the talking, so I just sat there. But, that's but finally, because that's always dicey in that situation. Yeah, it's but, like, how much do you want to protest it by giving, you know? Yeah, but fortunately, Kessler was speaking well for me there. But then when she said, no, that's it, I've made my decision. At that point, now I have to argue because now 
I can't call the raise. I'm going to have to fold it. I can't even call the min right. raise. So now I've got a I've got a hope she, she can change her mind. And then he doesn't know I have ten. He knows I have something, but he doesn't know what I have. So I'm hoping I can get her to change her mind, have it be a call, and then spike the miracle ten, and I can check raise them all in. But uh, the point is here, she would not budge. And I asked for her supervisor, and she said, the supervisor's not here. I'm making the decision. That's it. You have 30 seconds to either uh, call or, uh, you know, to, you have 30 seconds to act. It's, it's, it's on you for another 700. And if not, I kill your hen. So I folded. Shortly after that, I busted from the tournament. I demanded the manager, found the manager. The manager agreed I was right. The manager said he would look into it. Uh, communicated with me very poorly after that, but I finally reached him, and he said that they have, upon investigating this, determined that uh, I was wronged and that they're going to give me my whole $1,060 back. And I said, wow, that's nice. Except... Yes, except, I remember the story. Yeah. Except it was denied by his boss, who then decided they're going to take the attitude of just ignoring me. If I call in, don't respond to me. Just ignore, ignore, ignore. And if I come in, pretend like he never promised that to me. So that's what happened. Fortunately, all these people are gone from the wind now. But uh, um, and the, the the manager there, who who the one who who gave it to me and then took it away and pretended like he never offered it was uh, David Eggleston, or who I think had some other stuff happen with him later. So anyway, a lot of terrible rulings. But I felt so angry about that. Now, not that not that I had much of a chance there to get my two outer on the turn. And right. at least I consoled myself with that, that even if the right thing happened, it probably would have been a different card. I would have had a check fold. Oh, and by the way, the, the guy who beat me flashed me ace-king when I folded, so he wasn't bluffing me. So uh, fortunately, it probably didn't impact the tournament much, but still, I should have had that free shot at the two-outer that I did not have. And I was so mad that I was robbed of that because it was just a bitch there. Who, and it turned out, by the way, that she lied about the, the manager not being available. She just didn't want to get him and get overruled. <laughs> of course. When I asked him, I said, were you not available? Oh, no, I was here the whole time. I don't know why she didn't get me. I said, I asked for him. I have very – oh, and I, the funny thing is I said, look, I have Alan Kessler who witnessed this whole thing. I have two other people at the table who I know but are not friends with me that can verify this. So I can bring all these witnesses in in case there's any question that the way I describe it is uh, if you think – if she says it's not true. So – the, the amazing thing was that they were, when they were trying to ignore me and they were trying to avoid dealing with me, one of the things that they said was, uh, well, we reviewed it when I finally you know, nailed them down. We reviewed it and it's not clear what happened. Well, did you talk to any of the witnesses I mentioned or, or ask me how you can reach them? No, we just reviewed it and it's not clear what happened. So it was so such a clear cover-up. I was so pissed. And then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait until next year. And, and bring it up then. So I, I decided to wait until the next uh, February, 2008, and uh, bring it up then to convince everyone not to play there. And then there was a little story going on about cheating being found on UB. So I don't think anyone would have cared much about my story. That was, Let's see. <laughs> it's kind of like... Uh, Kind of like when uh, Chandra Levy disappeared and uh, right. 9/11 happened. <laughs> that was the end of that story. So okay, let's let's see what else we have here on the agenda. I always lose my agenda at least once a show. Here we are. Oh, let's talk Van- about Vancouver native Pam Anderson. Pam Anderson, yes. Mm-hmm. 
So I never really knew what Rick Solomon really did. Like, how does Rick Solomon really make his money? Yeah, I mean, he banged Paris Hilton, right? That's He got a lot of money from that. I guess. Yeah, it's like, so, Sex anyway, tape, right? Uh, Rick Solomon uh, somehow has become a, quote, uh, professional poker player. This is a guy who was uh, married also to uh, Shannon Doherty, as you said, and uh, he is uh, he's around 47 years old, I believe. He managed to enter the big one for one drop, which surprised a lot of people, in uh, 2014 for a million dollars, and actually cashed in it 2.8 million, which surprised people even more. Uh, he's of course best known probably for the sex tape with Paris Hilton, but I, I didn't know where he got all the money for uh, to, to be playing at, yeah, the one drop. I thought maybe someone put him in there. I I I didn't see him as someone just rolling in money, and and the poker thing. I kind of just saw him as someone who just plays occasionally because. He's just one of these celebrities or pseudo-celebrities who likes to play poker. But we get this surprising report about uh, Rick Solomon from Paramount Anderson saying that he beat billionaire banker Andy Beal for $40 million. And Pamela Anderson, who is uh, going to be divorcing Rick Solomon, wants her share of that. That's why she is concerned with this. Now, for those of you that don't know, Andy Beale was the one who played the ridiculously high-stakes Limit Hold'em heads-up games against what was known as the Corporation, which was actually a group of professional poker players at the time who didn't have the money to play as high as he wanted but pulled their money together and then would play him one at a time. This included uh, Doyle Brunson, Phil Ivey, Howard Lederer, Ted Forrest, Chip Reese, Jim, Jim Harmon, and others. Uh, in the book The Professor, the Banker, and the Suicide King, this was described. Andy Beale has been active again after a long time of not playing for a while. By the way, they played as high as, uh, would you believe, 100,000, 200,000 limit hold'em, which is obscene. That means the blind was 50,000, uh, Small blind was 50, the big blind was 100. Can you imagine? You steal the blind, you get 150K. But uh, there, there was uh, heads-up matches. Makes even more variance. But uh, Beal was angry for a while that they were... Uh, he wanted to choose who he was playing. And he wanted to choose the weaker Limit Hold'em players. Like, he didn't like... I guess he felt he was playing Jen Harmon too much and Phil Ivey too much. He he wanted to play the weaker players that he felt that uh, weren't as good at Limit Hold'em in the corporation. And they said no. So they had a big disagreement about the terms, and eventually he quit. But he showed up on the scene again earlier this year and played Todd Brunson at the Bellagio and reportedly lost $5 million to him in a very high-stakes Limit Hold'em game. Now... Andy Beal is a Limit Hold'em player. Andy Beal likes to play heads-up Limit Hold'em. And as far as I know, he's never played anything else. I've never known Rick Solomon to play Limit Hold'em, first of all. And second, when Andy Beal was seen playing this game, that made big news. And everyone talked about it when he played Todd Brunson. 
And it wasn't because Todd Brunson was there. Todd Brunson's always there. It was that Andy Beal was there playing him. So how could Andy Beal have shown up and played Rick Solomon for $40 million without people knowing? Now, you could say maybe it's a private game. But uh, why would Andy Beal be playing this private game when he's always done it in public before? Why, why would he go from, I want to play these games at, at the Bellagio or the Aria? Why, why is he now playing in public? And why is it against Rick Solomon? And again, why has nobody heard about this? So I, I this just seems like it's coming out of the air. They claim this happened uh, actually at the Bellagio, so I guess it wasn't a private game, that the this happened at the Bellagio over the summer. Now, how could that have been missed, especially in the summer? Yeah, I, I don't buy that. Unless it's like in his room, but not in the poker room. Yeah, I, I think maybe that she she's either confused, like maybe he did play in some kind of high-stakes game, and and then she heard about the thing with Beale and Todd Brunson and assumed he was in that game, or who knows. Right, or or, you know... He plays in some Hollywood home game, and Andy Beal was there once. You know, I mean, you know, Pam Anderson's not a professional poker player, so it's possible that some of these details are not. You know, she hears a name, she hears a number, she, you know, who knows? I could also see Plus, him like show. Maybe he lied to her and showed off that he did this when he really didn't and didn't think it would come back to bite him like this. Possible. And the other thing is, you know, she has skin in the game, right? I mean, she could just be making this up out of thin air just to get $20 million. Yeah, it could be one of her advisors. That's true. It could know. be someone who advises her that, hey, I know he's been playing high-stakes poker. We're, we know Andy Beal has been active recently, so why don't we just claim that uh, Rick Solomon won this much and, uh, and then have him come out and try to dispute it and prove what he has and hasn't won in poker. Maybe it will out what he actually has won and, and not won. So exactly. it could be something like that, that she's being advised by some attorneys or someone else who's trying to use this as a sneaky way to find out the truth. So uh, something weird is going on about this story. I can't imagine this could have taken place at the Bellagio without people knowing, especially a $5 million match got such publicity. How could a $40 million match not, especially with Rick Solomon being the one playing and not someone like Todd Brunson? Right. Also, I thought Andy Beal's thing was, A, you're right, limit hold'em, which I, maybe Rick Solomon plays, maybe he doesn't. But also, wasn't his whole thing is he wants to play these best players in the world? Like, I I never heard of him being in, like, casual poker games. Well, it was sort of yes and no. He wanted to play this, this group here, but at the same time, one of the points of contention they had is he didn't want to play the very best of that group. He wanted to play the, True. the weaker True. players. But, but he does like heads up, though. He doesn't just, like, sit in games. Right, he sort of like disciplined himself to only learn that one aspect, yes, right? Yes, yes. So. Actually, the way he did it was that he knew that his big advantage was money, that uh, since they don't have an unlimited bankroll, since they have a much smaller bankroll than him, they're always going to be playing scared if he pumps the limit up high enough. And then, so he just took this aggressive playing style that is hard to defend if you're concerned about the money. Right. It's also easier to learn kind of, right? Because I thought I read like he just read, okay, you know, a better than average hand is king too. So every time I get that or higher, I'll raise. So it was sort of he could quickly learn it and, you know, whereas a whole table, there's so many things happening. Yeah, and and also, of course, a a full table, uh, the 
the premium hand you have to play more premium hands and and then uh it, it's, hard, it's harder to get aggressive when you're up against real hands people are going to want to lay them down to you where heads up your opponent misses badly a lot and and if they have to call all the way down to the river in a huge game a super huge game with more money than they're ever used to playing for then it's harder to do it's it's hard to say oh yeah i i think uh i think he may have missed everything on the board i see five different cards on this board I've got King High. I, I think it might be good, so I'm going to call down uh, uh, the three bet on the fl- uh, pre-flop of uh, of three hundred thousand, a hundred thousand on the flop, two hundred thousand on the turn, two hundred thousand on the river. I mean, it's very hard to do that unless right. you just have obscene money. Also, you know the advantage. Like I said, if you read, okay, King Two is better than average hand. You don't have to wait. Like this doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to sit in a ring game and wait for aces. Like yes, yes. So. I just I don't believe it. I think there's a lot of BS to this story. It could be completely made up. It could be a morph story. It could be confusion. It could be a, some kind of trick. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, Variance kills in the chat is saying that uh, maybe he has shady money to launder, and that's that's why he played in that game. I I, I just think which, Andy which Beal, one? Yeah, I I I, <laughs> I think he means uh, I think he means Rick Solomon, but uh, I just don't think the game took place. I don't think it could have taken place. Without it being known, I just don't believe it. If they're saying this took place in the Bellagio poker room, I don't believe it at all. Yeah, because there's just no way nobody would notice. Yeah. Let's see what else we have. Let's see. Uh, only little uh, topic, then we'll get to the editorial discussion about the Golden Nugget situation. With it has an update. Uh, this happened, wow, I didn't realize it was that long ago. Wow, time flies, I guess. I, I thought I talked about this, like, in 2013, maybe 2000, being 2014. Turned out I talked about this in August 2012. Hmm. But, uh, to refresh your memory, the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City, not the Vegas one, they had what was supposed to be packs of pre-shuffled cards, except they were not actually shuffled. So in a game which was a uh, what was it? It was Baccarat. There were 41 consecutive winning hands dealt at that table. <laughs> <laughs> The amazing thing was, this was easy to tell because the same sequence of cards kept being dealt. <laughs> <laughs> so how could this be done 41 times before someone realizes it? I mean, the players realized it. Of course. But the dealers are so stupid, they're saying, hmm, that's weird. We just dealt the exact same cards as we did last hand. Wow, how often does that happen? All right. Well, weird coincidence. Huh, a Not third only, time. Yeah, and there's the dealers, the pit man, the surveillance. Like, yeah. Oh, a fourth crazy. time. Oh, a fifth time. Wow, this is amazing. Oh, a 41st time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so the gamblers at the table couldn't believe this. So they were betting $10. And they kept winning. So then when they realized what was going on, they just kept betting the maximum they had with them every hand. And parlayed the $10 to... 1.5 million between them. Well, unbelievably, 
the casino decided these players were cheating. They didn't believe that the patrons had rigged the cards in any way or were in on this. They just felt that these players were cheating by noticing this and betting this way. One of the guys who was a winner was they barged into his room middle of the night, physically restrained him, and held him in his room without food or water for eight hours while his belongings were searched. So, I guess at the time they hadn't quite realized what had occurred, though how hard could it be? But they they found out shortly after that what happened. And it was that they had purchased playing cards that had not been pre-shuffled when they were supposed to be. So, the Golden Nugget actually decided after uh, the, the players filed suit against them for the way they were treated for the uh, unlawful detaining after they won. They filed suit for both the $1.5 million in winnings that they were not allowed to cash out and to sue them for punitive damages for the unlawful detention. The Golden Nuggets said, all right, fine. How about this? We'll give you the $1.5 million. Just drop the lawsuit against us for the unlawful detention. Well, the players got greedy. And they said no. So, they ended up losing everything. Amazingly, they ended up losing everything where... uh, They uh, they ended up not getting nothing because the uh, you know it, it went to court and they and they lost. Yeah, the judge said basically it wasn't a fair game, so the money that they won was forfeited. Yeah. Now let me say I believe rightfully the casino should have paid them and paid them damages. The whole thing was the casino's I agree. fault. But this is where you don't gamble. This is where you say, you know what? I, <laughs> yeah. I it's it's not like there is nothing that could have been said that the player did wrong. I, I agree the players should have been allowed to do this and it was the casino's fault, but I could see how the ruling could go the other way. Because the players upped their bets because they saw there was a flaw in what the casino was doing and were taking advantage of the situation. Again, fine to do, but I could see how some judges may not look kindly upon that. And therefore, I I would not have taken the chance. I would have said, okay, just pay me the money, I'll forget the whole thing. If I was just like playing normally, and they backroom me or whatever, and I happen to also win a lot of money, then I would want everything, because then I'd know my case is rock solid. But this case wasn't quite rock solid. So they, they were too greedy and ended up with nothing. So th- this was uh, still a while back. But... Uh, This was in 2014. The uh, the judgment was in their favor. So now we are nine months later, in June 2014, when it was ruled in the casino's favor. After the casino was willing to pay after uh, those lawsuits were filed, then was no longer willing to pay. The gamblers are now begging the judge to let them keep the money. This is from Yahoo News. Gamblers who have been ordered to return $1.5 million they won at Atlantic City Casino 
that unknowingly used unshuffled cards asked the judge on Friday to let them keep the money. The 14 gamblers say they won the money through no fault of their own, playing mini Baccarat at the casino at the Golden Nugget in April 2012. They say if the ruling stands, it would send a chilling message to the gambling public that no jackpot's ever safe. I guess they were paid, and then they had to return the money. Uh, by ordering the patrons to return the monies that were paid out by the Golden Nugget nearly three years after the game ended, sends incredible conditional messages to the public. A win isn't necessarily a win, and the casinos will go after winning players who are without fault. If the casino or one of its agents were to blame, the gambler said in a court filing asking a judge to reverse her February ruling in favor of the casino. So they're asking the judge who already ruled against them. By the way, the company that owns the Golden Nugget is Landry's. Mm-hmm. So they own a lot of things, and and the, also the guy who runs Landry's is uh, I, can't, I think he's the cousin of um, what are the names the Faridas or whoever runs the station. Yeah, his, his name is actually Fertitta. Yeah, Tillman Fertitta. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. yeah. His name is Fertitta, and I the actually brother or and and when I had my little incident in New Orleans where I got those uh, those crazy women kicked out. One of the other, oh, right, 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 one of the yeah. other victims of these women was married into the Fertitta family. So, anyway, and of course they're the ones who owned the fail site of all fail sites, Ultimate Poker. So the judge heard the motion on Friday, but did not issue a decision, and we will see what happens. But the, this is pretty much the final chance here for them to get paid. They ended up with nothing, and they're begging the judge who ruled against them last year to reverse her decision. And I guess, uh, it says at the end of the article, about 500000 was paid in winnings and the other million dollars is in dispute that they wouldn't honor. So it's a matter, will, will they honor the whole thing or will the players actually have to give back the five hundred k? So I, I really hope the players get paid here. That's really awful that if the casino makes a mistake. I mean, can you imagine if you were in a casino and you make a mistake while you're playing and you say, oh yeah, I, I didn't mean to do this. I didn't really see the cards right. I didn't, uh, I didn't know what was going on. Can you, uh, can you give my money back? It wasn't a fair game. Right. Or, or even imagine this was completely reversed. The cards weren't shuffled and somehow that favored the casino. Yeah. <laughs> the you, you think they're going to call you back and say, hey, uh, uh, Todd, uh, we see you were in our casino a couple months ago. You know what? We found out those cards were not shuffled correctly. Come, ba- come on back. We're going to give you some money. Yeah. Never happened. <laughs> and this is a disturbing trend, actually, because it seems like all these cases are getting ruled in the casino's favors. You know, this, the Phil Ivey thing. It's like, do they not have any burden to and again what okay these people did know that something but what if you didn't know what if you just thought hey i'm on a hot streak the cards are rolling my way whatever and then you find out oh there's some technicality you lose yeah that's really it's really really bad it it should always be if the player has not done anything to put themselves in the situation where they have some kind of advantage like an unfair advantage if it's the casino's fault for allowing it to happen then too bad. If they deal the wrong cards, if uh, if if the casino is accidentally exposing cards, and it's not some kind of conspiracy where where you're paying off a dealer to do it, if it's really shown that the player had nothing to do with it and just a profitable situation was in front of his face and he took advantage of it, that's fine. As long as you didn't actually set it up, then the player should be completely innocent because it is the casino's responsibility. The reason they're allowed to have this house edge is because you're basically paying for them to run the game. Right. So, And it's their responsibility. Yeah, should once be anyway. they're running the game and playing at an edge, their responsibility is to make sure they really have that edge. And if they accidentally give you the edge, too bad. 
Now, I, I didn't agree that the guys who were cheating that video poker machine a while back where they found a bug in it and then knowingly exploited it to pay them ten times what they should have gotten. I thought these yeah, guys... Yeah, I remember we had a yeah, debate about that. Yeah, yeah, we debated about that. But but this one where you're actually uh, just... They're, the game just happens to fall in a way which is advantageous to you and you bet more because you notice and they don't. I mean, that's that's definitely the casino's fault. That's tough luck on them. And they if they want to collect damages, they should collect it from the card company who didn't shuffle the cards or right exactly and and they would have a case yeah. i mean if you're buying pre-shuffled cards and that's the whole premise oh that's the other and thing and then you lose this amount of money i mean isn't that kind of open and shut right there well and they're double dipping they actually got a settlement from the card company oh they did yeah <laughs> that's what's outrageous Christ. their own stupid dealers and pit bosses let this happen 41 times and oh and they didn't pay out the players more than five hundred thousand, which they're going to get back unless this gets reversed. And they got money from the uh, players' card company. They made out really well. This is a terrible precedent. I mean, these casinos just should start planting people in card and dice companies and <laughs> yeah. you know, just double dip like this all the time. Yeah, or or they could make mistakes and uh, on purpose, and then free roll. If the player wins, they can say, "Oh, you you only did this because you noticed the mistake." And if the player loses, then and that, that's what Ivy's argument was: is that these casinos had good reasons to know that he was edge sorting and, and because they had been doing it before and this woman got caught doing it before. And that, right, that and they, they were just free, hoping they, he would lose anyway. Yeah, they just free-rolled him. And so if he loses, yep. uh, he loses. If he wins, we won't pay him, which is a good point. They could have been doing that. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's up to the casinos. to Once they provide the game to you and you're not doing anything to affect the way the game is running, then it's their fault if they leave flaws in their own game that uh, allow you to beat it. Okay, so let's talk about the the little editorial discussion here, whatever you want to call it. I recently was sent a picture from a friend in Sacramento who uses Tinder. He does listen to the show, by the way. I don't think he's in the chat room right now. But uh, he sent me a picture of a girl who's 30 years old, Annie, in the Sacramento area, who had a face that he thought looked a lot like mine. And he actually asked me, is this your sister? Well, my sister isn't in Sacramento, and she wouldn't be on Tinder. She's married, and she she wouldn't be doing that. But this girl, I felt from looking at it, did look like me. Now, she is 13 years younger than me, and it's a little harder to see if uh, you're used to seeing me with facial hairs. Obviously, this girl didn't have facial hair. But if you take a look of, at me from when I was in my early 30s, like the bracelet winning picture that you can find on uh, on the web you can I think see the resemblance because I see the resemblance myself now what did you think when you saw this picture did you think she looked like me or didn't look like me yeah I I, I thought like if somebody said those two are si- brother and sister I'd say oh yeah they you know they look like it yeah so on the forum it was interesting I posted the picture some people said oh it doesn't look like you at all and I even posted the old picture of myself from 2005 so they could compare the ages being closer and without me having facial hair. But uh, some said no. Some said yeah, somewhat like you did. Uh, a few said yeah, I see she really looks like you. I even showed my mom. And my mom interestingly said, no, I don't think she looks like you. I think she looks like your sister. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there you go. So anyway, I thought about it. And this guy actually didn't swipe right for her. He didn't indicate that this is someone he wants to meet and have sex with because she looked like me and he thought he would feel weird knowing me 
it would feel like he's almost like whatever he's doing sexually with her would actually be with me. He'd kind of see my face there and it would bother him, which I can understand. Uh, but I'm going to take this one step further. Could you have sex with someone that when you look at their face, you see your own face? Someone who looks a lot like you, could you actually do it? Consciously, probably not. But I, but I, I mean, I think every study has shown that subconsciously you're actually attracted to people that look like you. Really? I, see, I couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, if, if, you, if you actually look at there's, – there's even been cases where brothers and sisters who were um, – you know, adopted out to different families have dated, hmm. and they've just found out later they're related because it's it's basically scientifically proven that you want someone that looks like you. Huh. I I couldn't do it. Like I just once I would see that. Like maybe if I didn't notice, but once once I noticed, someone pointed it out to me. Like I I couldn't do it. I would feel so weird making out uh, yeah, with a girl. I, I couldn't consciously, but subconsciously. Yeah, right. Maybe you would do it, and by the time you realize it, it's too late. I don't and, know. It's never really come up. At least I don't think. No, so it hasn't for me, for me either. But it wouldn't be like, like it wouldn't be because I'd be afraid of like that. I feel like I'm being with my sister. It would be like even if I had no siblings, I wouldn't want to. I would feel like I'm I'm being with myself here. It'd be really really strange, and I, I it would be too distracting. Now I the closest I had to this was in the mid '90s. I was on a, a web chat system which is like an early form of an internet chat room. It's just when the web, the web only started in 93. And in 90, this is like in 95 this happened. I was on a web chat system, and a girl on there who was, uh, I mean, I was pretty young. I was 23 at the time. I think she was 21. And she didn't have a picture, as many people then did not, because people were just getting online. This was the first time she had ever been in a chat room in her life. So we talked on the phone. We got along, and uh, she lived about 50 miles from me. So it wasn't like trivial to go meet her, but it wasn't like super far either. It just required, mm-hmm. you know, an hour drive one night. So I, I was totally into meeting her. And now she hadn't, uh, did she see a picture of me? I don't remember. Yeah, she did see a picture of me. I had one online, so I showed her. She liked me enough to where she offered that she will have sex with me if I come see her. She said she was into me enough from everything that she that she she's telling me right away before I even meet her that she'll have sex with me, which I, I wasn't even sure if I believed that completely because sometimes you meet someone in person and the feelings you have are different than what you had online or on the phone. So I, I can never really trust it until I actually am there. But I I, I was going to do it. I was going to go meet this girl. I was going to go do that. And uh, she was actually going to be moving away. So it wasn't going to be like a long term thing no matter what. But uh, I was going to do it. But I hadn't received a picture of her yet. She actually you know, had to go through the process of, of getting the picture and scanning it and sending it to me. So I got the picture. I couldn't believe it. This girl looked like a younger version of my mother. And once I saw that, I couldn't do it anymore. Now, it wasn't like my young mom was bad looking, but she wasn't. It wasn't a matter that this girl was ugly. It was a matter that she had a face similar to my mom when my mom was young. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't bring myself to do it at that point. It was, it was too weird. It was too yeah, weird. I didn't, even, I didn't even tell her. I just kind of like, like faded out, and, and then just she moved away, and that was it. But I, I couldn't do it. And this is someone who was like all ready to have sex with me, but she looked too much like my mom. Yeah, I, I've... 
I've had kind of similar. The, this girl was interested in me, and she just looked too much like my sister. And I, yeah, my sister's not ugly, but I don't want to date a girl that looks like my sister. Just too weird. Yeah, yeah. So that was the end of that. It was. It was funny. It was like I first get the picture, and I, I think to myself, you know, this is weird. Like, like there's this girl. She's attractive, but I, there's something wrong. There's something which isn't sitting right with me here. And I couldn't figure out. I'm like, what's wrong with her? And at first I thought it's because she had short hair, which I don't really like that much. And I was like, is that because she has short hair? I mean, it kind of feels like something different than that. And I looked at it again. And I go, oh, crap. Oh, crap. I know what this is. <laughs> so that was it. That, that's the closest I've had. I've never had to reject someone because they look like me. So Yeah. Well, I, I mean, most women, I mean, I get what you're saying, but most, you know, most women don't look at all like men, or at least you don't see it unless you try. But actually in those studies I was referencing, they even say that people gravitate, I think especially women, gravitate towards men that remind them of their father. Yeah, I've, I have heard about that. Yeah. So, I, and, and not just in personality, but visually. Yeah. So. Well, I, like I know that that if they're like if their father is tall, that they're gonna have a preference for tall men, even if they're not tall themselves. Just right. because they they kind of I think they grow up believing that's what a, a man is supposed to look like, and it yeah, that's just, their they, example. They, they, of they subconsciously yeah. get in there. That's what a man's supposed to look like. That that that's understandable. So okay, I let's see what the chat room's saying about this. You don't know what they're. You don't want to know what they're saying about this. <laughs> um, oh boy, Slipper Fair in particular. Clipper Frere says, I want to jizz on Druff's girl's face. I hope he means he wants to on the, the this Annie. I hope he doesn't uh, mean the one on Annie. On Andruff. Oh, on Annie. I believe okay. is what yeah, he yeah, said. That's right. Someone started calling her Andruff. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, that's better. If he wants to jizz on her face, it's fine. As long as it's not the, the girl I'm with now. I thought. Well, as long as he's not picturing you is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad, too. That's up. Oh, boy. Oh, actually, Jstat mentioned, uh, did you skip the Caesars topic? Oh, crap, I did. Leave it to so, Jstat. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Caesars then. Leave it to Jstat. He's, like, Jstat is, is very, very into the, any topic about Caesars. Yeah, so, well, he works for them, right, or used to. So he's he's someone who, I don't think he worked for them. Oh, I thought he did. He, I know he was an advantage player. Or knows someone who does. Or anyway. Anyway, oh yeah, okay. So you know, I really actually want to talk about this. I, I just stupidly skipped it. I, I didn't skip it intentionally. So let's talk about it. It's actually an interesting topic. Okay. Usually with these these heavier topics, we don't do after talking about would you have sex with someone who looks like you or your mother. But but <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll do it. If uh, hopefully we haven't driven away the people who want to hear this type of topic. But Caesars, as has been known, filed for bankruptcy, and that happened in January and that was discussed months before it happened and Caesars created something called uh, they they not called they they spun off certain assets that they saw as profitable into a subsidiary to where they created what the their critics are calling the good Caesars and the bad Caesars and then the company that's declaring bankruptcy has the lesser assets that they're not as interested in protecting. Assets that are either not worth very much or ones that are operationally losing money. So the so there's a big problem going on right now 
with involving a lawsuit and everything with, regarding this action that's seen as being very shady, which, which it kind of is. Uh, it is. Here, here is a write-up, actually. I think this is... I don't know if this is from JSTAT or if this is just something he copied and pasted, but it, it, it describes it well. This is from... Actually, last year, November 2014. Oh, okay. Also, he confirmed that he did used to work for Caesars. Okay, okay. For some reason, I didn't know that. But uh, Caesars Operating Company, Caesars Entertainment Operating Company, known as CEOC, has, uh, they have spinoff companies of Caesars Entertainment Resort Properties, CERP, and Caesars Growth Partners, CGP, so they can move these properties that they want to protect into the subsidiaries that will not be filing bankruptcy. So the ones that got moved into uh, Caesars Growth Partners, which is appropriately named, they're like, we're going to put our good assets over here so we can grow again and not be affected by the bankruptcy. That's probably where the name came from. Caesars Growth Partners, uh, what got moved there was the Total Rewards Program, Caesars Interactive Entertainment, Horseshoe Baltimore, which is co-owned by uh, Dan Gilbert, Bally's Las Vegas, The Cromwell, Harris New Orleans, Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, and the Link Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Uh, also, this uh, CERP, the Caesars Entertainment Resort Properties, in- includes uh, Flamingo, Las Vegas, Harris Atlantic City, Harris Las Vegas, Harris Laughlin, Paris Las Vegas, and the Rio. In case you're wondering about Harris Rincon in Southern California, that's actually owned by the Indians. They're just managing it, so that doesn't apply. Anyway, uh, basically, when the bankruptcy filing was done in uh, in January, the bondholders like the the California State Teachers Retirement System and the California Public Employees Retirement System, they will lose all of their investment in Caesar's Entertainment. So uh, the the taxpayers in California are going to get the shaft there, obviously, because it's, uh, these, these were teachers' retirement funds. And, and same with uh, Apollo Global Management and uh, uh, sorry, Apollo Global Management and TPG Capital will be uh, benefiting because they'll be owning the good Caesars. They won't be affected by the bankruptcy. Now, th- this is all old stuff. I'm explaining here just to catch everybody up. So there's a lawsuit involving this to stop it. But basically, the the ones who are going to be left holding the bag are pissed off that Caesars picked and chose and chose what they moved out of Caesars and into these subsidiaries, and also did so for a below market price when they quote sold them. So they sold them at a huge bargain to themselves to shield their better assets from the bankruptcy. So it was very it was very shady, and this lawsuit has been known for a long time, and that is nothing new. Here's what is new. On March 18th, uh, Caesars warned that if these lawsuits continue and are successful, that Caesars, as a company, will not be able to go on and may crash and burn. <laughs> Thank you.
It says in this article on Bloomberg.com, if creditors of the subsidiary were to prevail on claims that the company improperly shifted assets from their reach and stripped them of a parent company guarantee, the outcome could, quote, have material adverse effect on our business, financial condition, results of operations and cash flows. And then came the scarier part, that the material uncertainty raises substantial substantial doubt about the company's ability to continue as a going concern. So uh, basically they're saying that uh, if, if these are successful, that Caesars could crash and burn and just be done. Now, I think that some of this could be scare tactics. And, and uh, unnecessary drama, or maybe even to win the, the public's approval on the situation. But uh, that's what Caesars is saying. Before they were providing assurance to everybody, don't worry about it, everything will operate the same, this is our own internal fight. Basically, they were telling their customers that. Everything's going to go on fine. They even gave this stupid uh, tier credit bonus for anyone who plays in the first three months of the the quarter, or of the year, not the quarter. But now this is the first time they're saying, hey, we could really be in trouble if, if these lawsuits actually are ruled against us. So creditors, they filed multiple lawsuits to challenge this stuff. And uh, here's some interesting stuff that came out from this whole thing with the lawsuit. Uh, this is Exhibit M, or Figure M, from the lawsuit. Defendants looting of CEOC's valuable operating assets. So... Once again, CEOC is a Caesars Entertainment operating company that has uh, moved its assets to Caesars Growth Partners and, uh, and therefore looted the company, in their opinion, and also my opinion, truthfully. So they listed what the estimated value of these items that were moved into Caesar's, Caesar's gross partners and then listed what was actually paid for them and what the difference is. And basically, you know, adding up all the differences is what they were screwed. They're, they're saying they should have this money that, that wasn't paid over to Caesar's, oper, Caesar's Entertainment Operating Company from Caesar's Growth Partners is money that should be there that isn't, which made... Uh, made their investment worthless when it shouldn't have been. So here's the list of them. This lists, let's see, eight items. Of these eight items, which range from, in value from uh, $45 million all the way up to $1.6 billion. I'm going to list them all. Have you seen this? Do you know which one's the most valuable? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm going to list you the eight things that were transferred over, and you can tell me which you think is the least and the most valuable. Okay. There's trademarks. There's Caesars Interactive Entertainment, which is the online gaming business. Right. There's the Link and the Octavius Tower only at Caesars. So not the whole Caesars Palace, but just the Octavius Tower at Caesars. And the Link? And, and the Link, yeah. Okay. There's Planet Hollywood. There's Horseshoe Baltimore. 
There's the combination of the Cromwell, Quad, and Valleys, all as one. There's Harris, New Orleans. So, so wait, when they say the link, they just mean that outside strip mall thing? I, I think because they mean, the, like the quad is now called the link in in the actual property. No, it's actually the property. But this it's delineates not, between no, no, like the sorry, little outdoor just, market. Thing. Just the hotel. Just the hotel. Not the outdoor market. But the link. Okay, but the quad, like the quad, turned into the link. Right. So that's, that's what I don't understand. It's, it's the link. Oh. It's not that. It's not. It's the old quad, and the Octavius okay. Tower. Gotcha. And then Harris, New Orleans, and final total rewards of those eight. Remember, Cromwell, Quad, and Valleys is not separate. Those are all three in one. Mm-hmm. And Link Octavius is, is combined as well. Uh, of those eight entities, you know, I'm not going to ask you to rank them. It's hard to even remember what I said here, probably. But of those yeah. eight, which do you think is the most valuable and which is the least? I would think the most valuable is uh, total rewards. And what do you think is the least? Hmm. Uh, what, what was it? The um, uh, trademarks. You're almost right. Trademarks is the least by far, mm-hmm. at forty-five million. The most valuable is Cromwell Quad and Bally's at one point six billion. Okay, I guess the land in and of itself is. Yeah, and then valuable. total rewards is second most valuable as one billion, but. Total Rewards has the highest value shortfall because it was not sold for anything. It was actually rolled into Caesars Interactive Entertainment and then sold... Uh, or sorry, that, that was... You know, that, uh, I'm sorry, that, was, uh, that wasn't sold either. It was, that was just transferred in there. Caesars Interactive Entertainment and Total Rewards were just transferred in there. Nothing was even paid for those. And... Uh, uh, so, th- so the biggest shortfall was total rewards, whereas uh, Cromwell Quad and Bally's are actually it's not the biggest. Sh- is it the biggest shortfall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was only they it actually one point four billion was paid. So that was almost that was only fell short by two hundred thirteen million, only. Where total rewards it fell short by a full billion because that nothing was paid for that. So basically, right. they transferred over. It's funny. It says for Caesar's Interactive Entertainment, it says likely none. So I, I don't know how that is, but those Caesar's Interactive Entertainment and Total Rewards basically they got for free, and Total Rewards is valued at one one billion. So there's yeah, one... I, I mean the only determination left is is this legal? I mean, is this shady? It, obviously. Yeah, and like, uh, and I don't see how they think saying this. You know, putting this out there is going to get people on their side. <laughs> They're basically saying we did something shady, and if we get caught, we're going to fail. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what? You fail them. And what's uh, what's interesting here is that uh, the total here is three point six billion. So they're claiming that the value should have been five point nine billion, and uh, and they only got two point four billion for it. So that's that's a pretty big difference and they're saying it's a equity valuation shortfall of 60%. And it's interesting the total rewards is worth 1 billion. Uh, I I'm know not surprised. It's, not it's, surprised I know it's it's got two big factors that make it so valuable. First it's just a a popular program that's uh, very well liked. 
And it's se- the information. And, that's and, yeah, worth second and, and bigger, of course, the information that they have such a gigantic database of players because there's so many different properties across the country. So they have so many different markets, gambling markets worth of players, and a lot of data that they collected on how these people play, what they play. Yes, and, and I believe they were one of the first, actually, to start collecting that you know, finite data. And they were the first to start comping based just on, you know, the, the card play and not having pit boss, pit bosses evaluate people. They were early on that uh, train for computerizing. Well, yeah, comps yeah, and things yeah, like that, yeah, so. Right. The computerized marketing for them. Yeah. yeah and they, uh, yeah, players cards actually go back, not really, really far, but go back. Uh, I, I don't even think they were the first ones to have players cards, but, but players cards, it's, it was, not the same as this. It was uh, it was more to make right. it easier to track players rather than have a computer analyze it and make computer marketing offers into really really crunch data, and and also the the way the program itself was designed was very popular. And here's a piece of trivia: very few people know the term seven stars. Do you know where that came from? Well, I suggested this on a different show. I could be wrong. And you said you'd never heard of it, but I thought it was that your coin in was seven hundred thousand for the year. No, it's nothing okay. like that. It is that Bill Hara, the founder of Harrah's, had seven different wives. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. That's what it was. <laughs> okay. So that's that's where seven stars the term came from. I always wonder. What I'm that surprised word he'd want to acknowledge that. <laughs> well, he's not. Um, he's not around anymore. He died in uh, 1978 before these players' cards existed. So. Oh really? So it was Caesar's. I'm not. Sure, yeah, I'm not sure where seven decided. stars was invented, but that's that's what it refers to supposedly, like as an inside oh, joke. Okay. All right. So. I, I had always wondered about that. I was like, that's so weird. They don't have a six stars or a five stars or a four stars or anything like that. It just goes from diamond to seven stars. Like, why seven stars? Other than both starting with the letter S, but then again, six starts with S. Why not six stars? It was just weird. I thought maybe because lucky seven, that was always what I had just assumed. But Oh, see, I had heard it was that you bet 700,000 within a calendar year. Hmm. Either, either in coin in on a machine or total bets, you know, on a table. Yeah, well, according to the so way every, they every star credits, was like a hundred thousand, but yeah, according to the way they calculate tier credits, uh, back when it was a hundred thousand, that was it was actually a million who'd be betting, not uh, seven hundred thousand. But okay, that that's that's what I heard about this. For Bill Hara was married seven times, and supposedly that's it was named after that. But Bill Hara died in in nineteen seventy eight, so. Bill Hara also had an obsession with, uh, he made sure there were two bathrooms in Hara's Lake Tahoe. Do you know about that? No. Yeah, this is, it's, this is really strange. Um, I'm not sure why, but this was very important to Bill Hara that each room in Hara's, in Lake Tahoe, had two bathrooms. This is a big thing to him. So they really do have two full bathrooms. It's it's really weird. Like there's a regular hotel room, and then there's two separate bathrooms. One with a bathtub shower, and one with a regular shower. 
two toilets, two sinks, two everything, two separate bathrooms. And this was because... I'm not sure why. why. He had some obsession with it. Huh. It's weird that... See, the reason I thought he was still alive is because... it's Caesar still seems obsessed with kind of honoring his name. I mean, when did they open bills on the Vegas strip? Uh, That replaced the Barbary coast before it was the Cromwell, right? And that was was after Bill Harris. So I just assumed he was kicking around, but yeah, no, it's just, uh, they, they did this actually when they, they got bills, you know, the only reason they got that was they were going to make a mega resort. This is back when the boom was still happening in Las Vegas prior to 2008. They wanted to make a mega resort that stretched all the way from Harris to where Planet Hollywood is, which is a long stretch over yes. several streets. And it was they were going to just wreck everything. No more ballets, no more Paris. They were like they're going to make like a massive resort and uh, wreck Harris, wreck Imperial Palace, wreck. Uh, but the, the one thing get standing in the, there were two things standing in the way. There was. Uh, O'Shea's Casino, and there was the Barbary Coast. So they actually traded the Barbary Coast and called it Bills for some other property they gave to Coast. I forgot which one it was. And then they uh, they bought O'Shea's, and then then the crash happened, and they said, well, we don't want to do this anymore. So then they they changed their focus to where they're just going to keep all the properties, and instead they just have one very long block on one side of the street, of properties. Caesar's is, is the property on the other side, but everything else is on that one side of the street, the eastern side of the street of the strip. And you have this long stretch of all, all their properties. Right. And MGM's almost the other side, with exception of Caesar's. Yeah. And they bought the, I forgot the Imperial Palace. They bought that too. Same thing. I actually heard that there was an issue. They wanted to destroy the Imperial Palace, but there's some issue with like the the city runoff for water or something, and it was basically going to be too complicated. Oh. And then they decided to... Uh... There is some sort of city runoff issue there, because I, I saw one of those like really, really heavy rain days in Las Vegas. There looked like a, mm-hmm. like a river going down into the Imperial Palace parking lot. It was crazy. Yes. So, so they said there's some kind of thing there where they were going to... Uh, either the city wasn't going to let them do it at all, or the way that they wanted them to do it, they just said it was too much of a hassle. So they said, ah, well, we'll just change your name and, you know, paint it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it it's a big mess. And uh, what's interesting with this, with the Caesars, uh, with the transfer of these properties, the only one that uh, is left, I, I believe, is, uh, I think the only thing is, is, is the Caesars itself. There's not much left on the strip that is in the main Caesars. Well, again, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the point of this article is. Like, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody has any sympathy for them, unless they're trying to, you know, spur on the fear that people are going to lose their, you know, total reward credits or whatever. But yeah, so this this is what will be left, or what is left, in Caesar's Entertainment. Bally's Atlantic City, Harrah's Reno, Caesar's Atlantic City, Harvey's Lake Tahoe, uh, Caesar's Las Vegas, minus the Octavius Tower, Horseshoe Bossier City, Bossier City, I guess I should say it, Harrah's Gulf Coast, Horseshoe Council Bluffs, Horseshoe Hammond, Harrah's Joliet, Horseshoe Southern Indiana, Harrah's Lake Tahoe, Horseshoe Tunica, Harrah's Metropolis, Hotspot Oasis, I haven't even heard of that before. 
Harris, North no. Kansas City, Louisiana Downs, Harris, Philadelphia, which doesn't have a hotel, by the way, and Tunica Roadhouse. So, and where is the actual World Series of Poker as a, as a brand? Who, oh, that's which... that's in the Caesars Interactive Entertainment. Oh, that's bundled into the interactive side as well with WSOP.com, the I actual physical. So, yeah. yeah, I believe so. I see. So, uh, so they're basically only leaving uh, Caesars over there in the in the new company, as far as the. Vegas Strip properties, and not even the the newest tower, Octavius, and that's with being referred to as the good Caesars and the bad Caesars. The funny thing is, even Benjamin knows about this. Benjamin asked me, "Where is the good Caesars and where is the bad Caesars?" <laughs> so, last time I took him to Caesars, he actually asked me, "Is this the good Caesars?" I, I guess the answer is no. It's the bad Caesars. It's in the the bad Caesars company. I guess it depends what tower you're staying in. Yeah, I like the Octa- I like the Augustus better than the Octavius because you have a view from the Augustus. The Octavius has no view and it's too far to walk. The Augustus yeah, has a far I, walk too, but it, not it, Octavius is even farther. I only stayed there once because I I think Caesars is actually the most overpriced property on the Strip if you actually have to pay for it. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was such a long. I I I, I don't know. I maybe it was in the wrong tower, but it was such a long walk. It is. It is long walk. And it was past all these, like, weird shops. Yeah, there are weird uh, shops. Yeah. Just... It, it's a very strangely shaped property because it was expanded so many times since 1966. And it oh, just resulted yeah. in a really odd shape. And the self-parking is in a bad location, like, way off on the side. And it's a – I'm used to it now, but it's a really weird thing. And it's really – if you don't know it, it's very hard to get around there, too. It's very confusing. Yeah, it was. And it also it was so strange because you have this huge forum shop which they expanded and it's but then like on the way to your hotel room there's like a weird store that sells like mannequins. I, I don't know. Yeah, what it's it's, it's what's known as the Apian Way and uh and it's that little thing it's a little almost like tunnel that you go through to get towards yes. where the the most of the hotel is. It, it's the whole property is really strange and the the the, the towers are are spread out throughout the property. It's it's a really odd thing. It's not an easy place to find your way around. Uh, what's what's funny with Caesars is I, I think it's the best one, as by far of all the properties there. I'm, I'm not talking about value here. I'm saying if you're getting it for free anyway. Right, and, and just within the Caesars company. Yeah, within the Caesars company. Yeah. So I always no, I, I always I stay there. So over New Year's, I got a second room, but I wasn't able to get one for the two days. Like we were there for four days, and two of the four days the two that were right by new year's like the 30th and 31st i couldn't get a second caesar's room so i was lucky to be able to stretch what i did to get the first two nights for the second room so my parents were there and uh and they had to move over to paris which i was able to get for the second uh, second room for the other two nights i felt a little bit bad about it i almost even considered just letting them have the caesar's room for all four days and i would move but but uh, my, my dad was like, oh, no, 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 this is fine. We'll, we'll do it. So they stayed in Paris, and I still felt kind of bad, and you know, I helped them move their stuff over, but I still kind of felt bad. Well, they, they were thrilled. They said, oh, we like Paris better than Caesars. We're so happy we moved. This is, we prefer this place. It was strange. Huh. They, they, they said that they liked Paris a lot better. Really? Yeah. I mean, other than if maybe you're older, there's less walking. That that would be a thing. The other thing is I've only gotten food poisoning twice in Vegas and once was at the Paris. So oh. I'm kind of anti-Paris myself. <laughs> Paris is where I, I would stay if, if I can't get into Caesars for whatever reason. Like that's a 
uh, well, that or Rio. I've gotten so used to the Rio that I actually don't mind it anymore. I the the thing that actually bothers me most about the Rio is that its location that it's not by the strip like you can't really walk to anything from there but um I always have my car with me but still but I've gotten so used to the Rio and I know all the tricks there and everything like I I actually have gotten used to it the Rio doesn't even bother me yeah it's not as bad as people say either I mean I, I've stayed there a couple times I didn't think it was a horrendous dump or anything it's not but... and to show you like I could I could during the World Series stay at Caesars just as easily and I choose not to because the convenience is, is so much better at the Rio, and and it's not bad. I don't feel like I'm in a dump where I hate being. It's it's not as nice as Caesars Hotel-wise, but, but for the convenience, it's so much of a difference, and I, I don't have to drive anywhere to play the World Series events. So, Caesar. Yeah, although you're lucky because, you know, you live there, you just drive. Uh, I flew down and stayed at the Rio and once made the mistake of saying, you know what, you know, it's a nice day, I'm going to walk to the Strip. And that's not a fun walk. You can do it, but yeah, I know it's, <laughs> it's like on the side of the highway. Basically. Yeah, I know it's it's not it's very unpleasant. Yeah, it's, it's on the side of the highway. If it's during the summer, it's really hot. It's uh, you, it, it's kind of up a hill and down a hill because it's going over the highway. So you've got to go up and down this overpass, which is a lot longer than you think it is. So yeah, it's yeah, also I, like it's just it feels grimy and it I don't, does. Don't it do does. It if you don't it's, have to, it is. It's like you're walking almost like through an industrial area. It's weird. It's like. It doesn't have the feeling like you're walking through a, a touristy place. It feels like you're just walking through like a city on an off on an over overpass on the sidewalk. <laughs> it feels like you're in a place a sidewalk shouldn't be. Yeah, that's a good like, description. Oh, there's a sidewalk yes. here, really. Yeah, I always think it's kind of weird when I'm driving over that thing towards the Rio and I see people walking it. I go, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. So I guess you're one of the people I looked at that way. I didn't realize it. <laughs> well, I tried it once, but yeah. Okay. Never well. Again. I think I think we've covered everything here, and uh, we have. So let everybody know once again: no show this Tuesday, no show next Tuesday, and no show the Tuesday after that because it will be on Wednesday. And so there's no show until April eighth, and the free roll will then return to be the normal free roll. So Wednesday, April eighth. Will be the next show at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And uh, I already have a, a co-host volunteering, someone who hasn't been on here before. Just a, a long-time listener wants to co-host, so I'll give him a chance on the 8th to co-host that one. And uh, Sounds interesting. A- after that, we'll be happy to have you back if you'd like to come back. On, I think the next week, we won't be on... Uh, it could have been on the anniversary of Black Friday if I wanted to do April 15th, but I don't believe... I think we're going to be doing Thursday the 16th, but I'll let you know for sure on the 8th, but for sure there's no show between now and April 8th. Hopefully nothing happens that's too urgent to talk about. I've just had a lot going on, and uh, also Benjamin's mom has had a lot going on, so there's difficulty with her being able to watch him when I'm doing this show, and there's been a lot of things coming together at once that have made it to work. I was unable to do this show on Tuesday or even during some entire weeks. But it'll go back to normal after mid-April, and we'll return to a regular schedule for about a month, and then the World Series starts, then we'll go back to a weird schedule. I will announce soon how you can buy pieces of me in the World Series of Poker, which is now just two months and one week away taking place at the Good Season, the Good Rio. 
So thank you, Daredevil, for being part of the show. Thank you to the live audience who followed us over to this weird Sunday time slot for the second show in a row. And if you're listening to the archives, always happy to hear from you. You're welcome to text me after the show about anything you've heard here or anything you'd like to talk about with me. I do answer every text I receive. 775-372-8355 is that phone number for the text. So that is it for this week. We will see you in about two weeks. Thank you for listening. And if you tried to call earlier, I gave you a chance to call me back and you never did. So tough luck on you. Good night and shalom. Shalom.